This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast on AllComic.com, episode 149. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiasha, and today we are finally getting to all the news that has come out in the last couple of months. Finally! <laughs> Yeah, oh, there's been a lot that has happened, and we need to catch up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yep, get ready for another news catch-up episode. Um, I mean, we have a lot of really cool, interesting things to talk about, I think, so that's cool. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of serialization news, a, some licensing news, a lot of industry stuff, a lot of movie news, anime, just all kinds of stuff we have to talk about which I think is pretty neat. But um, before we get on to any of that, we do need to talk about some Patreon stuff at the top of the show. Um, Mainly, we haven't had the chance to do so because we had a lot of stuff recorded ahead of time. Uh, But we're we're now finally getting around to shouting out one of our newest patrons, Basculin, uh, on our Patreon. So uh, shout out to Basculin, who is now supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much, Basculin, uh, for your patronage. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to get a shout out on the show, just like our patron Basquin, you basically want to go to patreon.com slash manga mavericks. If you sign up for even as little as a dollar, uh, you will be guaranteed a shout out on the show uh, on the soonest podcast that we have to record uh, after you become a patron. So there's that. Um, again, once again, thank you so much, guys, for all your patronage. It's really the best way to support uh, the show and everything we do here. Another kind of small Patreon update that I want to talk about really quickly is that uh, for anyone who's noticed, we do have a $3 tier now opened up, and that is going to be used basically to uh, release new episodes of a new podcast that I'm doing with uh, with Sakaki, our good friend Sakaki, called Another Day, Another Adventure, basically where we are going to be attempting to watch every Dragon Ball cartoon ever. Um, we are starting with the original Dragon Ball TV anime and just kind of kind of go from there. Uh, this is basically an attempt to basically uh, become a completist and just watch all the Dragon Ball anime franchise because I have a lot of blind spots and I just want to watch as much as I can, as well as Sakaki. And so, yeah, we uh, if you go to our Patreon and sign up for the $3 tier, uh, at the time of this recording, or I guess by the time this episode's out, uh, there should be, I guess, three podcasts available, uh, episodes zero to two. And so, yeah, you'll have a you'll have a good batch of episodes to kind of listen to. Um, we're kind of aiming to try to release an episode a month on the Patreon for now. Um, I mean, in, in general, this is going to be the kind of thing that Sakaki and I are just going to kind of record whenever we have the time. So uh, just know that we are going to try for a monthly release on the Patreon. But you know there there may be there may be months where like we just don't have the time to record. It's it's going to be a little inconsistent. I'll be upfront about that. But we are going to try to re- uh, record and uh, release episodes of that as frequently as we can. Um, eventually, when we have enough episodes on the Patreon, I am going to start uploading them on their own like public feed. Um, so there's that, uh, and I think in the future. We'll basically have it set up to where you'll be able to, if you want to listen to episodes on the main, on the main, like public feed, you can, uh, but we'll also have a small number of episodes that uh, will be exclusive on the Patreon. Basically, we'll, we'll kind of like rotate those out. So every time I upload a new podcast to the Patreon, uh, I will also upload one to the main feed. 
Um, I promise it'll make more sense when we like upload more episodes, but that's kind of the release model I'm kind of going for in particular as I spearhead this new podcast that I probably shouldn't start up because I have so much to work on, but it was, <laughs> it, it, it was something that kind of because of like the collective, I don't know, like six or eight hours of Dragon Ball content that we recorded and released last year that I was just kind of like, you know, I want to keep talking about this, you know, and uh yeah, that's basically how this new podcast started up. So if you're interested in listening to that, again, the first few episodes are up on our $3 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks if you are interested in listening to those. I highly recommend them. I'm really enjoying listening to it too so far and hearing your and Takeki's thoughts on the early episodes and what you like in adaptation, what you don't like. Uh, yeah, it's, I always enjoy hearing good Dragon Ball content and I look forward to hearing you go on the journey through it all. Though I am surprised you're not planning to upload the first episode publicly on the 26th to commemorate, you know, the series' 35th anniversary. Um, I would have if I knew that was coming up. Um... But yeah, I mean, like I said, eventually uh, we will upload episodes on their own main public feed. Uh, but for now, we are going to kind of keep it sort of exclusive to Patreon. Um, I, we'll we'll kind of keep you guys updated on like, you know, uh, when, when I put the first episode up, you know, publicly for everybody to listen to, we'll we'll let you guys know. Uh, we'll we'll keep you guys updated uh, on the status of that podcast, you know, as we keep going. But uh all right, but we have a lot of news, and I think we should just get to it, and I think we should start off with uh, a lot of list news we have to talk about this episode. Lum, if you want to go ahead and start us off. We do have to get caught up on a month and a half-ish worth of news, and yes, that includes lists, lists for different months even. But the first list we'll be talking about is not the New York Times or Biscayne list, but the Elsa list, the yearly top graphic novels for team lists they have released their 2021 novels for teens list and we're going to discuss some of the manga they have selected out of 126 titles comics that they recommended for kids 12 of them were manga and these include Blue Flag by Kaito, Blue Period by Sebastian Yamaguchi, Drifting Dragons by Takako Abata, Golden Sheep by Kato Ozaki, Kaiju Girl Karabelis by Spike Aoki, Love Me Love Me Not by Osaki Saka, Our Dreams of Dusk by Yuki Kamatani, Satoko Inaka by Yupa Chika, Seven Little Sons of the Dragon by Ryoko Kui, Way of the House Husband by Kusuke Ono, What the Font by Kunichi Ashiya, and Witch Hat Atelier Bokamome Shirahama. Quite a, a great selection of titles there. I definitely can hardly recommend all of these, at least most of these I have read. So yeah, I am very pleased with their recommendations. I think they are indeed great reads for teens. Yeah, amazingly, like, I'm going to say about 70 to 80% of the titles on these included in this list are like all titles I've been like really wanting to read lately. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I again, these are good books for that for a younger audience in particular to get into. I mean, Love Me, Love Me Not, Dream to Dusk, Golden Sheep, uh, some Blue Flags, some really good themes that I think teens especially would really find resonant. Mm, no, yeah, I, I, I can see a lot of teens getting into Blue Flag, uh, as well as uh, Our Dreams at Dusk and, uh, you know, stuff like Satoko and Nada. I, like, I, I, think, I think a lot of these more... Uh, 
I guess inclusive titles, I think, would be good for a lot of teens. Absolutely. But now let's get into our New York Times list. Oh, boy. Yes, we have two New York Times lists to talk about. Obviously, we're going to start with the one from last January. And just going to go from the bottom up here. At number 14, we have Attack on Titan Volume 1. You know, Attack on Titans return to the New York Times list. Maybe it'll stay on there for another 80 weeks like it did uh, the last time this list existed. You never know. As well as uh, we have Ramina from Junji Ito at uh, at number nine on the list. First time on the list. Again, Junji Ito, a lot of people love his work. And I've heard I've heard a lot of good things about Ramina in particular. I definitely want to check that out at some point. Um, mm-hmm. We also have volume one of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba at number seven. Uh, up from its last placement on the previous list, which is good. Uh, we have volume two of My Hero Academia at number five. Again, higher up on the list than it was last time as well as Volume 1 of My Hero Academia at number 3 on the list, uh, up from its last placement uh, on the previous list. I think it's safe to say that uh, for this incarnation of the New York Times list in particular, that uh, Volumes 1 and 2 of My Hero Academia, as well as uh, Volume 1 of Demon Slayer, are probably here to stay for the time being. Uh, a lot of people seem to be buying those. So Looks like... Manga's calamity list with more and more representation. As we get into February, we go from five titles on the list to six. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the February list is, is pretty interesting uh, due to one inclusion that we'll get to in a bit. But uh, My Hero Academia Volume 2, uh, a lot lower on the list, uh, about 10 places or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, still on the list, uh, as well as Volume 1, number 12, again, uh, down on the list, along with Volume 1 of Attack on Titan, uh, slightly higher up on the list, uh, I think, compared to uh, the last list, along with Volume 1 of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, a little higher on the list as well. Uh, but again, the biggest difference with this list is with the addition of Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 1, ranking at number 7 on the list. Obviously, this is uh, Jujutsu Kaisen's first time on the list, and I was not expecting to see this on the list, but I mean, you know, I, I guess I say that, but like, it's also not surprising. Jujutsu Kaisen, I think, is... It's getting big. The buzz is booming. This is a series a lot of people are fervently reading. And as we'll get into the book scan, I think Trinity 1 is going to be a year of Jujutsu domination. The domain has expanded to <laughs> North America. Will it be will it be the series that finally takes down My Hero Academia? Probably not, but like it'll still give it some healthy competition. And then uh, speaking of My Hero Academia, we have volume 26 ranking at number two, which is pretty good. Um, volume 26, I believe, is the newest volume to come out. So again, that's not surprising. I want to say this because uh, we've had newer volumes on the list uh, on this list before, but I, I want to say this is the highest a new volume has been. Uh, I, I might be remembering that wrong. For a manga, for sure, yes. I think this is the highest we've seen in rank. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, v- very few titles, uh, I guess manga specifically, can really uh, match up with My Hero Academia's success over here at the moment. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just kind of get on to the book scan list here, uh, starting with uh, December's list. And we're going to try to go over this as quickly as we can here because My Hero Academia, again, just dominating at least like half the list. Um, We have Volume 1 ranking at number 1 with Volume 2 ranking at number 3. 
Volume 3 ranking at number 4. Volume 4 ranking at number 7. With Volume 24 ranking at volume number 9. Volume 4 ranked at number 6. Oh, what, wait, what did I say? You said 7. 7 is Junji to Zuzumaki. Oh, oops, I'm sorry. Volume 4 ranking at number 6. Uh, I apologize. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, uh, Volume 24 ranking at number 9. With Volume 25 ranking at number 14. And Volume 5 ranking at number 15. So... It's a a lot of My Hero Academia, like always. Nothing new there. Uh, So, continuing on with the rest of the list, uh, we have Volume 1 of Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, at number 2. Now, this, I believe, is the highest that Volume 1 has been on this list, which is pretty cool. I believe so. Along with Volume 2 at number 11, um, it really feels like the first two volumes of Demon Slayer happened on this list for a while, and I think that just goes to show that uh, every, every month there are new people getting into Demon Slayer, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's climbing in popularity ever more so. Like, it just got added to Netflix last month, and I was checking in on Netflix one day, and I saw that for the day I checked in on, it was in the top ten uh, shows being streamed that day on Netflix. So there is a lot of people watching. I mean, look, I, I would have been surprised if Demon Slayer didn't at least crack the top ten on Netflix once, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible feat for an anime. You think, considering all the shows that are on Netflix, and the fact that anime is still niche, the fact that Demon Slayer, even for one day, was among the most watched shows on Netflix does speak to its reach and how wide the audience really is for it. Mm -hmm. But just kind of continuing on with the rest of the list, uh, we have Junji Ito's Uzumaki at number seven on the list, again, a, a, a perennial placeholder on this list, like always, uh, as well as volume one of Toilet Bound Hanako-kun at number eight. Uh, see, seeing this more on the list, uh, more and more, which is cool, I really feel like I should try uh, Hanako-kun at some point. Yeah, I really like this series a lot. I'm glad that it is climbing in popularity and being such a successful title for Yen. In general, I'm glad to see, you know, this list dominated by a lot of his titles. I'm glad that there's something else out there from another publisher that can compete with the likes of, you know, My Hero Demon Slayer, all the big Shonen Jump stuff Wiz has. Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, speaking of Junji Ito earlier, we also have Remina ranking at number 10 against Junji Ito. What more can I say? Everybody loves him. And then we have Volume 1 of Haikyuu ranking at number 12. Again, a lot of people seem to be getting into Haikyuu recently. I would be interested to see if more volumes of Haikyuu maybe rank on this list, possibly. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, they got six more months of new volumes, so who knows? Uh, And then we have Volume 1 of Attack on Titan ranking at number 13. I'm sure that now that Attack on Titan is closer to ending, a lot of people are, like, maybe finally giving it a try, possibly. I mean, the final season also did start in December, too, so that got the buzz up again, I'm sure. That's true. And then we have Volume 1 of Tokyo Ghoul on the list at number 18. You know, Tokyo Ghoul, you know, for how long it's been over, still still a bestseller. Uh, I'm sure we're still going to see Volume 1 in particular on this list for a while to come. Um, this one is kind of surprising, but not really. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, volume one of the black edition of Death Note, the omnibus edition of Death Note, I should say, ranking all the way down at number 20. Um, 
I can't really imagine what might have sparked this sudden interest in uh, in Death Note in particular. Well, I think De- Tokyo Ghoul and Death Note are in general perennial evergreen titles that are very popular and people always are discovering and getting into. So I don't think there needs to be a reason for it. They're just very popular. And, you know, uh, people are always uh, discovering chicken out these series, particularly, you know, teens in the manga. I mean, that's true. I'm just saying that I... I'm not going to say it's never been on the book scan list because I don't know that oh, for it sure. Has. It's been before. We've talked about it. Oh, did we? Okay. See, we've been covering the list for a while. I mean, if, if that's true, it's de- it definitely hasn't been on the list in a while, I don't think. Um, not that I can remember, but uh, my, my, my memory's kind of bad, so who knows. Um, I just wasn't expecting to see it down there just because, uh, you know, obviously Death Note is evergreen. People are always going to read it. I was just surprised that it sold enough to make it to the list. Um, this is kind of a tangent, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering if we're going to get that new collection of Death Note anthology stories that they released in Japan recently. I feel like that has to come out over here at some point, right? Yeah, I don't think Viz is going to pass on that. I mean, it's new Death Note. It'll print money. They're going to publish it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, pretty interesting list, I would say. Yeah, 80% manga, 16 out of 20. <laughs> but that pales in comparison to a 95% representation of manga on the January top 20. Literally every title except one in January in terms of the top 20 adult graphic novels was manga, which is quite a feat. One day I think we will get the full 20 is manga mm-hmm. uh, very soon. No, I, I think it's going to happen at some point, too. Um, I was just going to say about the December list really quickly. Uh, some some carryover from the past few lists before that that I, I wasn't necessarily expecting with stuff like uh, Hanako-kun and, uh, and Haikyuu. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that enough people are buying them and that uh, they're making their... Uh, they're making appearances on this list. That means uh, that means there's interest in those titles, and I'm 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 happy to see that. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and move on to the January list because wow, yeah, we have a lot more to talk about here. So get the, get this out of the way. My Hero Academia on the list, volume twenty six, the newest volume, ranked at number one. Not a surprise there. Uh, along with volume twenty four at number eight, with volume twenty five ranking at number eleven, volume two ranking at number twelve. Volume 1 ranking at number 15, Volume 3 at 16, and Volume 4 at 17. So yeah, that's about six or seven volumes of My Hero Academia. Yeah, seven. About the same that was on December. But uh, again, yeah. My Hero Academia domination. Enough said. Um, So this is something really cool. So we have two volumes of Jujutsu Kaisen on this list. This being uh, the first time Jujutsu Kaisen has been on this list, which is pretty cool. Uh, we have Volume 1, ranking at number 2, which is a very, very high uh, starting placement for its first time on its li- uh, on the list. So that's that's really amazing, quite honestly. Um, and then we have Volume 0, ranking at number 6. Again, yeah, like we were mentioning earlier, a lot of people getting into Jujutsu Kaisen. And I'm really excited to see like what its placement on the list will look like going forward. Yeah, the anime's exploded in popularity and getting people more and more to check out the manga. And, I mean, it's just continuing its momentum, and it's cool to see sales of the manga skyrocket like this. And people also seeking out Volume Zero, which is a good thing, because Volume Zero is important to the main story. So you should read that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I don't know if this has happened before, but we have two volumes of The Promised Neverland on the same list here. We have three, actually. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so we have volume one ranking at number three, uh, with volume two ranking at number 10, along with volume 18, which I believe is the newest volume. Uh, yes. Serendipitously ranking at number 18. So I don't think that's happened. But, well, if it has, it hasn't happened in a while, I should say. Yeah, it's a rare occasion to see multiple Promise Everlands on the list. But I think it goes to show people were excited for the anime return and, and checking out the manga in turn. No, yeah, for sure. Um, glad to see that the Promise Neverland is doing well. Uh, and then as for, let's see, so we have Demon Slayer, Kometsu no Yaiba, once again, on the list, Volume 1, ranking at number 5, with Volumes 3, ranking at number 19, and Volume 2, ranking at number 20, uh, very far down on the list, but also, like, it's still, it's still on the list at all, so that's, you know, that's good. I mean, there's still multiple volumes. Yeah, for sure. Again, I think Demon Slayer is, is here to stay, is probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and then once again, we have volume one of Attack on Titan, uh, ranking at number seven on the list. Again, Attack on Titan, people are interested in, again, um, volume one, I'm not surprised to see on any of these lists, but I guess compared to the last list, uh, this one shot up quite a few places, uh, once again, with the, uh, first volume of the Omnibus edition of Death Note ranking at number nine, I'd be interested to see... Uh, how much longer Death Note places on this list in particular, uh, considering it is an older title. And then, once again, we have Uzumaki from Juta Ito, ranking at number 13, along with Volume 1 of Tokyo Ghoul, ranking at number 14. And uh, yeah, that about does it for that list. So, no, no carryover from the last list with, like, Hanako-kun and, uh, and Haikyuu, but I'm, I'm sure those will probably, like, show back up again at some point. But again, with stuff like Death Note and Jujutsu Kaisen coming on the list, I think those are the, the those are like the biggest surprises for me in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's good to see titles like Jujutsu also blow up popularity. It's good to see sustained popularity for so many different titles. Again, it is still very Shonen Jump dominated and Viz dominated, but you know the successful manga, successful manga. It's good to see that. Oh, people are really getting into a lot of different manga, and manga is doing very well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but speaking of manga doing well, uh, Lum, do you want to cover the next list for a little bit? Yeah, we'll wrap up our list discussion by talking about the annual book scan list, the top 20 graphic novels for 2020. And guess what? Manga dominates graphic novel sales because 15 out of this top 20 were manga. So that's about 75% there are manga that, you know, are people are reading are among the top graphic novels being sold. And of course, the number one is My Hero Academia, volume one at number one. Volume two coming at number three, 24 at number five, three at six, 23 at eight, four at 10, five at 14, 25 at 16, and 22 at 19. That's about nine volumes out of the 16 manga volumes on this list. So nearly half of the graphic novels that rank among the top 20 being sold last year were My Hero Academia volumes. Woof. Which goes to show the power of the series. But also doing quite well for itself is Demon Slayer with volume one ranking at number four. And volume two ranking at number 13. So some... 
representation for Demon Slayer there. And other popular titles include Uzumaki at number 9, Haikyuu at number 17, Hanako-kun at Volume 1 at number 18, and Tokyo Volume 1 at number 20. So we're seeing some very popular titles that we're, we were noticing on the monthly list. But in the annual list, yeah, this is definitely showing these are the big titles people are getting into. People are always picking up and reading. And I'm glad to see a Nakokun among these numbers because it's the only novice title. But it is also an ongoing title being published by Yen, which again is good to see a title like that can compete with these, you know, shonen jump hits that Viz has. But also, I think interesting to mention would be some of the straggling titles that did break into the overall top 20, but do round out the top 20 for manga just specifically in 2020 and those volumes though are mostly more my hero naming demons Lair because like if we were to talk about the top 20 of just manga specifically at number 16 would be volume 21 of my hero academia number 17 would be volume 6 of my hero academia and then demon slayer would have two volumes at number 18 with volumes 3 and at number 20 with volume 7 but Promised Neverland would also rank at number 19 with Volume 1. So you'd get one extra series if you were to gauge just the top 20 for manga specifically. Still, some good selection of titles. It is mostly My Hero dominated, but once again, I think that the fact that there are a lot of different popular series is a good thing, and it's great to see manga doing so well and so competitively in the graphic novels market. Oh, for sure. Um, just something I want to put out there and that I, I thought was interesting when you really think about it, because uh, with Hanako-kun and uh, Haikyuu in particular, uh, I, I think it's amazing that those in particular are in the annual top 20 list for the year, when I'm pretty sure those in particular didn't show up until like the October list, or some some sometime around the fall, I think, if I remember correctly. So like, I I have to imagine like, but both of those selling enough to like catch up to everything else to uh to be able to place himself in the annual list i think that's pretty insane actually yeah or at the very least when, when you think about it that way i think i think that's pretty neat uh because i think that really goes to show that like obviously interest for both of those uh really shot up around then and, mo- and mostly continued all throughout the fall and winter mm-hmm but yeah, that that was that was kind of my only thought for the annual list. Otherwise, like you said, again, it's it's all my hero academia uh, dominated. But again, there, there's there's still enough other different single titles on the list to give it at least some competition. I think so. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, but I guess unless you have anything else to say, I think uh, I think we can move on to some serialization news. And we do have a lot of serialization updates for sure. Many manga. Taking breaks or ending or starting, let's start with manga going on hiatus, one of which is Land of the Lustrous, which has started on hiatus as of the March 2021 issue of Kidanja's Afternoon Magazine. No info on when it'll return quite yet, but the official website does promise an update when that information is decided. From my knowledge, the rest of this is also approaching towards a conclusion, too, so it is kind of a sudden time to take a break, but hopefully it'll return, get right back into the swing of the action. Land of the Lustrous is definitely something I'd like to read as well. Absolutely. Another sudden break that happened recently was Blue Exorcist. It seems like Kazuya Kaito 
felt a little fatigued, and they have gone on a hiatus for two months, so no new chapters in the March or April issues of Jones Square, so no new chapters this month of February or next month of March. And as Kaiju explained, it was like 12 years of fatigue exploited. I think she could, you know enjoy a nice break. She said that she's not sick. She is enjoying a well-needed vacation. And I think that is more than a welcome and more than needed after, again, working on a serialization for 12 years. It's, it's good to take a break. But another series that's going on break again is Ancient Omega's Bride. And this has gone on a break because of needing to adjust to a new process in terms of working on the manga due to dealing with coronavirus and the new state of emergency in Japan over it. They completed the 75th chapter, and the manga is going to return in the next issue of Monthly Comic Garden. But yeah, some adjustments needed to be made. No need to fret, it will return. But it just goes to show, even a year into dealing with COVID and quarantining, like, that is affecting the work processes of several mangaka, and they still are figuring things out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's good that they're, uh, that they're taking these things into consideration. Now we got some new titles from new authors, or at least we got some new titles from some returning authors, including authors returning to the, their previous works with sequels and updates and whatnot. One of which is the Seven Deadly Sins sequel, Four Nights of the Apocalypse. That did indeed launch already in Japan on January 27th in Weekly Shonen Magazine. It's basically set in the same world as Seven Lily Sins, beginning at a place called God's Finger. Basically about the son of Meliodas, Tristan, going on an adventure, looking to, like uh, he's traveling with a fox companion. And yeah, it's cool to, you know, see that Seven Lily Sins has returned with a sequel. I thought that Kodansha USA would begin simulpulsing it, but they have not yet, which is surprising me, but I imagine it will be coming eventually. Yeah, I, I have to imagine eventually they're gonna put this out somewhere. I'm 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 kinda surprised as well that they're not simulpubbing this, but like I don't know. I, I guess we'll I guess we'll have to see. Um I'm I'm sure it'll come eventually. Indeed. But we've also got some new manga from other folks. Mainly, Paru Tagaki, a Beastars fan, has returned with a new short manga called Bota Bota, which had a very interesting premise. It's about this girl who is a real clean freak. She hates dirty things, but she also is super horny and really wants to have sex. So, in the first chapter of the series, like, the first opening pages are great. Is that she notices something dirty and she, like, gushes blood out of her nose. And it's, like, <laughs> a horror scene. You'd think this girl's been murdered because of, like, just how much she bleeds out. And then later on in that first chapter, I saw that she was about to have sex with a dude, but his dick was in there. She, she wanted to, like, throw boiling water on it to clean it. So, <laughs> this sounds like a very funny, very, like, kind of what you'd expect, I guess, in terms of crazy sexuality from Paradigaki, but uh, it is only meant to be a short manga, and it could end uh, pretty shortly, too, so I guess we will see 
like how long it ends up being maybe just a volume, but I do hope the, to see it published because it is quite a novel title in terms of premise. Mm-hmm. This this sounds like the kind of thing that like Seven Seas would pick up in particular. Yeah, like I I, I hope I hope this gets picked up, even though I will admit I am not used to seeing human characters drawn by Paro Itagaki. Yeah, they do look a little strange i mean mainly the eyes like i think those especially big eyes the way she draws them do feel more appropriate on her animal characters than the human there is like a a uncanniness there but you know i think it's something to get used to yeah yeah it's definitely a different kind of series for me to gaki but that is also true of Negi Harama's new series. The creator of Quintessential Quintuplets, one of the most popular, successful romantic comedies of the last couple of years, is returning with a new manga about Sentai characters. And their new manga is called Sentai Big Disqualification. It's already started and we be shown in a magazine. I'm very disappointed that, again, Kodansha USA, not really picking this up for a silent pub. I think you know, they're kind of missing an opportunity here considering how popular Quintessential Quintuplets was. But yeah, this is basically kind of a, from what I understand, the premise is actually it's about like this kid who is actually a villain who's fighting against the Sentai team. So it's kind of interesting. But it, it again, it's an interesting swerve for Haruba to go into this more kind of action type story or fusion of action sides of life considering they're big hit previously was a you know terror romantic comedy mm, i mean especially with like the sort of tokusatsu boom that we're kind of going through right now in north america like i it is kind of a shame that like this doesn't have a simul pub because if it did i'd totally check it out indeed but speaking of, of shonen magazine authors seo kuji is working on a new manga set to come out in the spring and we don't really have much info about it, just like a very rough, scribbly storyboard. And he jokingly suggested the title would be Our Quintuplet Matrix is Not Fine, obviously referencing the popularity of quintessential quintuplets. But uh, I don't know if it'll actually go in that direction of it also being about quintuplets, but they're waitresses this time. But yeah, you know, his previous manga, Hitman, just ended in December, so a very quick return for Seo Fuji. And yeah, I mean, when all these new Shonen Magazine titles by authors that have been published before, it's kind of surprising that they're not picking up for a summer club. And actually, this manga is coming out on the 17th of February. Actually, maybe it'll already be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. And it is taking place in a seaside town in an old cafe with five girls. So I don't know if they are actually going to be quite dumb, but if they are shamelessly... <laughs> She's going to make another quintuplet series in the same magazine. Well, that that's clearly how you make the big money. Yeah, you just ride off the popular trend. But uh, I, I, we'll see. We'll see. It is coming out soon. And uh, I guess we will see truly if they are actually quintuplets. I mean, they, they look similar enough, but, you know, that might just be a style. Another new manga recently came out from a very veteran author is from Erika Sakurazawa, who does a lot of, you know, kind of indie Jose titles. And their newest manga is Can't Buy Love With Money, which came out in Jewish's Office U. Basically about a woman who 
feels like she has no excitement more to wilt in her life, but, you know, maybe that'll have a big change. And we haven't gotten a lot of Sakurazawa titles in English in a long time. Tokyo Pop published a bunch of them back in the early 2000s. And you can still find those around. I have still, I've read at them, and she's an interesting creator. I would like to see some of her newer work being brought over here by a different publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've never really read Sakurazawa's works in particular, but uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in checking them out, probably. Mm-hmm. Another author returning to the world of manga is you, Aida, launching a new manga called Those With Courage Come and Lay Down Your Lives in the fifth issue of Young Animal on February 26th. It's going to be on Immortal Girl, a former warrior failed to die, yearning for that, how are the lives burned, a major tale of what it means to live. So a little, uh, sort of similar vibes to Gunslinger Girl in terms of teens just by that description, but obviously a different setting Different relation. Well, honestly, original dynamic might be similar. But, you know, Gunlinger Girl was an interesting series, so I'm interested in their new work as well. And hopefully it will be picked up and uh, published if it does quite well for itself. But another author that's returning with a new series is Seishi Kishimoto, famously the brother of Masashi Kishimoto. Uh, Kishimoto announced that he is launching a new manga called Monster no Isha, or Monster Doctor, later in the year. It's going to be a shonen series that will expand on the worldview of Yobigami and tell a story about the bonds between boys and monsters. So, presumably this will also be published in Manga Box, like this one-shot, his new serialization. So, yeah, it looks like Seiji Kishimoto continuing to produce some more work. After previously finishing his last series back around 2018-ish. Man, you know, I keep forgetting that uh, O-Parts Hunter, or uh, 666 Satan, as it was originally called. Uh, you could probably see why Viz didn't go with that title. Um, I am I keep forgetting that's a thing, and I, I feel like that's something that like we should read and cover on the show at some point. Just because I, 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 I like keep seeing it around, but I've never actually like read it, and... I just in general, I'm I'm just kind of interested in uh, uh in Seishi Kishimoto's work just in general. Yeah, I, I was not a fan of Tsukidachi Nine. That was published on Crunchyroll. Uh, wasn't into it. But you know, Old Parts Hunter is a more kind of you know stereotypical shown series. It's more traditional. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We can look into that one. I think I might like that better than Tsukidachi Nine. Like kind of grim darkness at times but uh yeah just just kind of judging from I'm, I'm assuming the uh some of the uh i guess the key artwork from the one shot you were talking about probably is what i'm assuming this is from like this is very very similar to uh misashi kishimoto's style yeah i mean they're brothers i guess you know maybe they draw from similar influences artistically but yeah i mean the hairstyle the eyes yeah like there's there's nothing stopping me from thinking this little kid with the with the ball and chain just looks like Naruto. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I ju- I just think it's interesting personally. Yeah, I mean another returning creator though is Hiroshi Shibashi, though not returning to the pages of Jump, but instead this time Ultra Jump with their new manga Upperclassman Iwamoto's Recommendation, which is gonna come out in the next issue of the magazine on February 18th. And it's based on an earlier one-shot he did. And 
That centered on a military academy middle school student named Iwamoto, tasked by his master to investigate the Donji Festival in the town of Shikibe, with the goal of ascertaining whether the town of Shanabiko is merely a trick or real. So it's good to see Shibashi returning with a new serialization. It's a little disappointing he's not returning to jump, just because then, you know, we get this picked up and been able to, you know, read it from the get-go. But hopefully it does well enough that it will get picked up by Viz or someone in the future. I am interested in reading more Shibashi's works after, you know, really loving Yui Kamio and definitely really want to get into uh, Nero the Rise of Rope Guy clan. That's, that's definitely on my list at some point, too. But, I mean, speaking of uh, being speculative of the works of new creators, I and mean, we just talked about a bunch of creators, like, returning with new serializations, but a thing on everyone's mind is, what's next for some of the others taking a break right now? One of those people that everyone's wondering about what they're going to do next is Koyaharu Kotoke, considering they drew one of the most successful popular manga of all time in the past couple of years with Demon Slayer. And according to them, in the second fan book for the manga, they commented that they're thinking of penning a sci-fi romantic comedy story as their next project. So a very different kind of story from Demon Slayer is like a historical fiction battle shonen type. But Gotoki mentioned that they've been watching old sci-fi movies with aliens recently, and it'd be interesting to see how their perspective on them has changed from childhood to adulthood. And yeah, they want to make a sci-fi romantic comedy that's going to make even creators break out eight-pack abs. So. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm very intrigued uh, and amused by their description there, and I am definitely looking forward to their next work, especially if it does swerve in a completely different direction from Demon Slayer. Maybe Gotoke means that, like, when they say they'll, they'll break out eight-pack abs from reading, is that... Uh, you know, you, you know when you laugh, you work you work out your abdominal muscles a little bit. Mm, yeah. So so may, maybe maybe they're trying to say that it'll just be that funny. I think so. I think so. It's like you're gonna really bust a gut laugh in there, bust yourself into shape laughing. But yeah, uh, now I mean we also got some updates on series that are entering their endings. We talked about a bunch of beginning time. We got to talk about a bunch of things coming to an end or having ended. And one of those is Children of the Whales that is entering its final phase, quote-unquote, in the upcoming issue of Mystery Bonita. On, I mean, it's already entered that phase, but it hasn't entered quite yet. But it's, you know, it's presumably in its final arc. And that's true of Inuyasano's Dead Dead Demons Did a Destruction as well. That's also reached its climax in the recent issue of Weekly Big Comic Spirits. It had the cover of the issue and opening color pages for its new chapter. It's in its final arc. And yeah, I mean, this series has been going on for a while. I remember reading it when it first came out, uh, before it was even, you know, picked up uh, officially back in the day. And yeah, I, I fell off on it a uh, long time back, but I'm definitely interested now as it's approaching its end, getting back into it, because it was a very, very interesting series, as a lot of series always are. Oh, yeah. Though, sadly, you know, a lot of series are looking to come to natural endings, but some series have fortunately abruptly ended. And mainly one of those series is Samarian, the Guardian of the Forest. That manga just suddenly ended on Comic-Zion because the author's health had worsened quite considerably and they couldn't continue on. So it ended without a conclusion, just kind of in the middle of its story. And that's quite sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me sad considering I, I'd, I'd heard good things about this series. So, 
But I guess returning to manga, ending on their own terms after a long serialization, one of those is Suyoshi Yasuda's Days. That recently ended in January. This was also a series I read for quite a long time, and also the anime came out a few years ago, and I watched that little bit of that too. It's a fairly fine soccer manga. Uh, it's hard to compare with, like, something like Whistle, which I think I prefer, but, you know, it's, it's good, and it ran quite a long time, with, like, over 40 volumes, so I am interested, since Kodansha Yusei does publish this digitally, you know, to go back and revisit it at some point down the line. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just want to cut in here and talk about the next thing ending, because uh, this is a series that uh, I've talked about on the podcast at least once a year, whenever I can, because I know it's a series that we both really like and have done an episode on, like, way back when, is uh, Ajin Demi-Human. Uh, recently, at the time of this recording anyway, as of the March issue of Kodansha's Good Afternoon, uh, the final chapter of Ajin Demi-Human has been published, and the 17th and final volume will be coming out in Japan on May 7th. And um, I haven't gotten the chance to read the actual final chapter of this just yet. I, I need to do that pretty soon, actually. But um, And I know we haven't released this just yet, but uh, I do kind of talk about it a little bit on my Best of Manga, or on the Best of Manga episode coming up. You know, I, I felt pretty good about calling it, like, I guess my 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 favorite ending of of the year as far as like uh ending manga goes but uh Lum I know you probably haven't like uh haven't caught up with it yet but uh you know I I I thought it ended pretty well um I mean unless there's unless there's something in that final chapter that like screws everything up for some reason cuz sometimes <laughs> that happens but uh barring anything shocking or surprising like that like I I thought the final confrontation between Sato and um what's his name i forget the main character uh uh i i thought it i thought that ended pretty well uh pretty ended pretty satisfyingly and uh i hope that maybe sometime in the future maybe we can revisit ajin maybe now that it's ended and maybe have like an even uh have a have a more full discussion about it in the future um that's that's something i, w- I would love to revisit on the podcast at some point but uh we'll see but uh but yeah, it's officially ended, and uh, yeah, uh, I I can't wait to. I, I'd be interested in seeing more stuff from uh, from Sakurai in particular. Absolutely, I'm definitely interested in catching back up on Ajin, and yeah, I'm glad to hear that it has ended quite well as well. But now we're talking about a franchise that looks to be ending multiple different installments of it at the same time, and that being Cells at Work. And not only has this ended, but uh, apparently its final chapter was focused on COVID. Oh, boy. So that's quite a way to have your series finale. I wonder if that's going to be worked into the season of the anime. Um, But yeah, Cells at Work, this franchise that's seemingly indomitable, uh, had so many spinoffs over these past six years. Uh, yeah, it finally came to end. Not just the main series, but also Cells at Work Code Black also came to an end and around the same time, basically. Hmm. And yeah, so both Cells at Work series are over. And, you know, the, obviously they ended around the same time that the new seasons of the anime are airing. So they definitely planned it to 
have the franchise end around the same time. So, yeah, uh, it's interesting. There was so much sales at work over the years, but uh, it's, it's coming to a close finally. It's it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting also because, like, you know, I, I was... I I didn't know that Cells at Work ran for that long, uh, six years, because, you know, Cells at Work's only, like, about uh, six volumes. 30 chapters, yeah. Yeah. It's only about six volumes long, and I guess it was on hiatus for a little bit. I thought I saw that somewhere. It's interesting that Code Black is longer than the main series. Actually, there are different spinoffs longer than the main series. (laughs) Um, yeah, that, that's interesting to me. Um, this is also a, this is also something that, like, I feel like we talked about it so much in the news that we just have to cover it at some point. I watched a bit of the anime, and I, I thought that was pretty fun, so, like, I, I definitely want to read it at some point. Yeah, this is, there's so many installments of Cells at Work that you, you could devote a month to it, I guess. <laughs> like, it's, they're just so, there are, there are, like, half a dozen, at least, series of cells at work i think most of them if not all of them are available in english <laughs> you, you heard it here first folks get ready for for cells at work month coming soon to manga mavericks <laughs> well maybe not soon but uh maybe eventually but yeah next we'll talk about another series that is coming to an end and that's love me for who i am this is of course the series about you know about uh, a lot of different gender non-conforming characters working in this make it bay the main character being a non-binary kid and i really love this series and i'm surprised it's ending so soon but based on what i know of recent developments like it did get into some pretty you know big dramatic territory so i'm curious to see how it's going to end looks like it'll end with its fifth volume so not a terribly long series so definitely looking forward to reading the conclusion when it's published in english Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to read uh, the rest of this when it comes out eventually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another very uh, bigger manga from a creator, City by Keiji Arui of Nichido Fane, has also come to its conclusion in Cadence's Morning Magazine. And yeah, this has been going on for about five years, so this is looking to come to its end in about its 13th volume. I know that Jenny was very sad because she loves working in a Robbie series, but I'm sure Arai will return with a new manga pretty shortly and entertain us with their very eclectic, offbeat brand of comedy. I feel like this has to get an anime at some point. Then again, I know that, um, I mean, as, as far as I can tell, I don't think Nichijou did like, su- like super well when it first came out in Japan, I don't think. Um... I don't think it, I don't know if it did terribly or not, but I don't know if it did well enough to like warrant another anime from Arawi in particular. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this series of popularity would be the signing factor, and I don't know how popular it is compared to Ichijo. But yeah, I mean, it's ended without an anime announced, so who knows? But uh, you can never say never. Like, who knows? There'd always be some surprises. But and speaking of big series ending, I mean, and also on the related to the Kadansha side of things, particularly, you know, you have the big one, kind of literally, Attack on Titan, ending in April after 11 years. You've got the date, April 9th, 11 and a half years of serialization. Wow. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conclusion. Hopefully I can catch up in time because, you know, I've been watching this final season of the anime and, you know, I think I was wrong about 
my misgivings about the story. I think it was actually has a much smarter message about the horrors of war and uh, is anti-fascism and uh, has some interesting things to ex- that it explores. So, you know, now I'm, I'm very impressed with the direction of the story and I definitely am intrigued to get caught up after being like kind of scared away from things I've heard that now that I've actually read it, I'm like, oh, maybe people just misinterpreted what's actually being said in the story. I still think that there were a lot of things the series did wrong in the parts that I did read. Like, I still don't care for, like, the flashback that Gable the big reveal about the history of the aliens. And then I do think the series' comparisons are, you know, you appropriating Holocaust imagery and then real-world history in the way it does is a little tone-deaf and uncomfortable at times. But the actual message of the story and the actual direction it takes is actually quite interesting to me. So I'm curious to see how it's going to end and what kind of conclusion it's going to have. Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, Attack on Titan ending is a very big deal, um, and uh, I, I definitely can't wait for it to end. So that way, not not soon, but eventually, I would love to do a manga Mavericks episode on on Attack on Titan in particular, since I I've I've read very little of the manga, so I definitely want to do like a full reread of this, or a, I want to do a full read of this at some point for sure. Mm-hmm. We still got a few other titles to mention, but now we're going to get into kind of Viz territory, which is where we saved this before the end. And most of them are jump related, but this one is kind of an outlier. But it's a tropical fish yearns for snow. That's ended with its ninth volume. I've been running for a couple of years. I really like this series. It's a very sweet Yuri title yeah, about two girls trying to learn to open up to each other and form a relationship. It's kind of like a slow burn, but it's it's very sweet and has some very beautiful art so definitely curious to see how it'll all end but yeah now we got some uh jump stuff ending started on stuff from jump plus uh started with abyss rage that recently ended as of the beginning of this month this was a series we were not too enthused about when we talked about like all these manga plus series and our initial overview i i'm definitely not opposed to going back and rereading it the beginning to end but uh, yeah, I mean, this was again the story about like the the blind kid who you know learned martial arts to get revenge, basically. Mm, I'm I'm guessing this one wasn't this wasn't a very pleasant series. I'm guessing we we read it, didn't we? I I I I did it. I didn't read it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you read it. We talked about it, uh, me and Maxie, but we were not a fan. We're also not a fan of Platinum End, which also ended last month. I read the final chapter of this, and this is the most nihilistic series Tsugumi Oba has ever written. Uh, also, in many parts of it, the most misogynistic series, the most problematic in many respects. But yeah, wow, what an ending. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate him going there in some respect, but it's not necessarily the pleasant this, a pleasant destination or pleasant or a great message stand on, I would say. But, you know, uh, this is definitely something we'll cover on the show because we need to complete the trilogy of discussing the Oboe Bada works. 2021 uh, Platinum and Episode. I mean, it's already 2021 and we already have a oh, schedule shit. planned uh, out. I mean, so uh, it's t- not 2022 really... 
Platinum Man episode. There, there we I go. mean, maybe we'll make space for it in the fall, because that's when the anime comes out. That's also something you announced, is that, yeah, it got announced for an anime adaptation that's going to premiere in the fall. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we'll make room for it or just make me do it at the beginning of next year. But, yeah, we will talk about it. Uh, not necessarily looking forward to reading it, but, you know, looking forward to talking about it, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Look, I, it's, it's like I've been saying for for the past few episodes it feels like um i'm i'm very excited to talk about something really trashy um i'm not looking forward to how nihilistic it apparently is from what you're saying and everyone else is saying but like i look i don't mean to go on a whole big thing but like i remember when like you know it was announced that like viz was simulpumping this for like what was it like 2.99 a chapter or something is 1.99 but yeah we but were like upset that why wouldn't they just publish this in the regular Shonen Jump and then you read the series and it's like oh well content wise they can't put this in the regular Jump because that's meant for broader audiences yeah audiences and this has content that crosses the line I'm sure they also put it up behind a paywall so that way like you know maybe younger kids or something visiting the website probably wouldn't read it but like I mean there's a reason why it's not you can't read it on the app. It's an 18 plus series. You yep. need to have a login. I mean, the second chapter has like an orgy in a car. So that's right. <laughs> wow. Okay, man. And I mean, like, I'm the reason I'm so interested in this is because like, you know, other than you and like, you know, a lot of our mutual friends, like, I don't hear, I don't see anyone talk about this ever. And that, that just makes me more interested in checking it out. Yeah. I mean, the only people I see talk about it, bash it. I think there's like one reviewer that i bought that liked it uh that i won't say call them out but the, you know i think they gave some good thoughts on some things it was doing but uh i, I feel the reading experience of it and just you know the actual messages of it aren't great well at the very least we know that the translation will be high quality because Stephen Paul worked on it, so that's that's at least something. Yeah, localization will be good, but it actually is localizing in terms of the writing by Oba Sigubi. Maybe not so. Uh, but this also, speaking of Oba and about stuff, there was a new Death Note short stories volume that also came out this month that we mentioned it earlier, but yeah, it collects like a bunch of uh, the Death Note one-shots in the last couple of years, including last year's uh, one, so th- that's also something, again, to look forward to this publishing in the future. But going back to more Jump Plus or Jump uh, stuff that's ended, I mean, this is a Jump Plus thing, Summertime Rendering, that ended. And speaking of things that's getting an anime adaptation and a live-action adaptation, actually, Summertime Rendering will be receiving both uh, later on. Maybe not by the end of this year, by next year. But yeah, cool to see that's going to get two different types of adaptations. This is definitely a series that I really want to read through beginning to end, because I know Vlord in particular, he really loved this series. So yeah, I'm definitely curious to get into it. Yeah, Summertime Rendering, this series in particular is like, they're really pulling out all the stops. It's like, like you said, it's getting an, it's getting a TV anime, it's getting a live action adaptation, it's getting like an escape game or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'm cl- cl- clearly like, I'm assuming this was a pretty popular series uh, in some respect over in Japan, because like uh, other otherwise, it, it is just kind of surprising to me that like they're they're giving it like it feels like they're giving it the the, the treatment with all these adaptations almost. Seems like, but 
also talking about another Jump Plus series that ended recently and get an anime, Hell's Paradise. This had a great ending, very satisfying. Looking forward to it getting animated, more people discovering it, checking it out, because I thought it was an excellent story beginning to end. And yeah, this is one we've been planning to cover on the show for a long time. I think we'll get to it next year, uh, probably around the time the anime comes out. Yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, very happy with how Hell's Paradise ended. Definitely like a high bar for like an end year when we're doing what had the best endings this year. This is definitely going to be up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I never got around to this like while it was running, but like. Man, I can't I can't wait to read it and talk about it on the, on the show at some point because I definitely really want to for sure. But now we're gonna get into stuff that ended in Weekly Shonen Jump proper. Yeah, um, and I guess like the first thing we'll mention is that uh, a Gravity Boys ended. Uh, I think literally the week after we recorded our uh, Shonen Jump retrospective on the Patreon with Chapter Fifty, and wow, I can't believe it really did end with that whole arc about penis powers, <laughs> penis attribute um it looks like uh i don't i don't think it's come out just yet um uh, but it looks like it is gonna have more chapters coming up in jump giga in particular to kind of round it out so uh I'm, I'm sure that'll probably get picked up in english too yeah i mean especially since like uh viz is also now putting out uh, digital volumes of Gravity Boys as well, which is good. Uh, the first volume of that is available for anyone who wants to purchase it. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I guess besides that, uh, we also had the ending of uh, Mori King as well. Uh, Lum, I know you were pretty into that. Yeah, and this had a sweet ending for all the characters, you know, like the the insects, they weren't supposed to, they were only supposed to live for a short time, like the actual lifespans of an insects were, but uh, they all ended up becoming human and get to live you know alongside their friends it's a very nice ending mm-hmm. and then uh the last thing that ended recently which i don't think either of us surprised ended was uh, our blood oath yeah our, our blood oath had like kind of the most abrupt kind of ending too literally i didn't really reach a conclusion to anything it's just like uh our adventures will continue to happen <laughs> Oh man, the, the best kind of ending a canceled series can no, get. Yeah, um, yeah, man. I don't know. I definitely, I really wanted to give it a chance at first. Like, I really thought like it had, I really thought it had like good ingredients to work with. You know, as far as like it may be an interesting story that could pick up, but like, yeah, but it's half baked. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Man, um, this is one of the few series that I'm not really looking forward to covering when we eventually cover it as a Jump Stop podcast, but... It's not that bad. It's just underwhelming. It's... I mean, yeah. It... I, I would say so. Um, I don't know. It, it It was just one of those things that I, like, I really wanted to like, and I, I think there were, like, a few things I liked about it, but overall, yeah, it... I thought it was a little disappointing, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, with all these new, with all these jump series ending, uh, we're already in the midst of another serialization round, which we're not going to talk about all of our thoughts on these just yet. We're going to save that for another episode because we have too much news to cover, basically. But this serialization round is, I think, probably one of the most exciting we've had in a while because we have two veteran authors, um, also two of my favorite manga artists. Uh, especially coming back in the same round. It's like it was made for me. <laughs> but yeah, I guess just to talk about these real quick, some of these are already out. 
uh, by the time you're listening to this, obviously, but uh, and you can read them Most all. Most of them are, actually. Yes. Uh, the, the first one of these that came out was from Yusei Matsui, author of Nero and Assassination Classroom, uh, called The Elusive Samurai, which uh, is basically something that I wasn't really expecting from Matsui in particular, is a, uh, is a period piece that takes place in feudal Japan uh, about a boy who basically is, uh, I don't know, would you call them like a Kuroko kind of character where like, they're, they're very good at like masking their presence and kind of like running away in a crowd or whatever? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole gimmick of the series is that, you know, this kid, he's really good at preserving his own life, which includes just getting out of dangerous situations, escaping. And so that's basically the story is that him, he's going to run away, outwit, outmaneuver all the enemies that are out to murder him, basically, until he grows up and rises up to, you know, reclaim his uh, territory. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then uh, the other series that came out afterwards, which again, you can also read, is uh, I Tell C, or I Teru Shi, as it's uh, written out in Japanese. Um, very interesting uh, localization of the title there. I mean, it's not really how it was localized, I guess, because it was, if you look at the the Japanese logo, like, you know, the, that English title is also in there. So, you know, but uh, I, I actually haven't read this one yet, but I know it's supposed to be a sort of like murder mystery kind of thing. Uh, man, do I even want to spoil what it's <laughs> about to you if you haven't read it? Do you know anything about it? I I know I know that it's a it's a like a crime mystery series. That's 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 about that's all. I it? Know. Yeah, that's all. You I don't know. know. I, I mean, look, we'll like I said, we'll we'll talk about more about our thoughts in particular on another episode. But like, it's an interesting one. You know, I that's what I appreciate about this round is that these are all very interesting, very different kind of series. Yeah, for sure. Um, we should also mention this series in particular comes from Kazusa Inaoka, who. Uh, if you remember, also was uh, responsible for uh, Invade You. Yeah, very different kind of manga. Which uh, I, I I know Maxi was very into when it was out, and unfortunately that ended. But uh, so I'm I'm interested in seeing how Inaoka kind of deals with like the I guess the shift in between genres almost. Yeah. And then uh, I guess another one that I'm also very excited for that at the time of this recording is just came out and I still haven't read it yet, but I'm definitely going to read it as soon as we're done is uh, witch watch from Kenta Shinohara. That's right. Kenta Shinohara. One of my favorite manga authors of all time from series such as Sket dance and Astro lost in space, both very good series. Um, from what I can tell is basically going to be like a magical fantasy kind of series about a witch and an ogre. Well, more of a rom-com. That's what that's what I meant. Sorry, uh, but uh, I'm already hearing rumblings about the first chapter, um, and uh, you know I'm I'm ex- I'm excited to check this out again. I I love Kantashinahara's works, and I'm so glad that he's back in Jump again. And I'm I'm really I'm really anxious to see how well the series does and like how it stacks up to stuff like you know his previous works. But uh, yeah. And then I guess the very last series that we'll mention that uh, will be coming out soonish is uh, Kowloon's Ball Parade from Mikiyosu Kamada and Fukui Ashibi. Ashibi in particular, I'm interested in this one. I mean, first off, this is a baseball series. 
which I know, again, Maxi in particular is very excited about. And uh, I, I think we mentioned in um, in one of our previous episodes that uh, it has been six months since Jump has had a sports series, which is the longest time it's gone without a sports series in particular. And obviously, we haven't had a successful baseball series in a very long time. So I'm I'm personally rooting for this in particular. Um, also, like I'm see that this this is something that I'm that makes me really happy about having the Jump app is that like you know obviously we get everything at this point. And, um, like, this is the kind of thing that, like, if we still were, if we still had the, ma- like, the digital magazine and we, we were still doing, like, jump starts, like, this would get three chapters and nothing else. But, like, yeah. I'm really glad that we're going to have, like, a full sports series, you know, wh- whether it stays long or not, I'm just glad we're going to get to read the entire run of something like this, which is really cool. But I was going to say, um, Ashibi in particular actually did a baseball series for Shonen Sunday. <laughs> Um, yeah, that I remember Sakaki tweeting about over at uh, the weekly Shogakukan edition, uh, called Anonatsu 1955, which uh, apparently was about a boy who uh, is um, is basically in the middle of a baseball game, and then lightning strikes him, and then he's transported all the way back to 1959, uh, which is probably the most wild premise I've seen for a sports series, especially baseball. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, obviously Ball Parade has not. Uh, has not been released yet at the time of this recording, but I'm really interested in seeing like what this one will be about in particular. Yeah, and in general, it's good to just have another sports series again. Hopefully, this one will break the baseball manga curse, and uh, Jump will have finally another successful baseball manga since uh, Mr. Full Swing back in the early 2000s. It's been a long time. For sure, for sure. But um, again, we will talk about these on a future episode when we go over more. When we when we basically go over simul pubs a little more in depth, but like. Uh, just to give a sneak peek, I'm already feeling really good about this round of series, quite honestly. Yeah, this is a very strong round. Definitely one of the strongest in a long time. I'm hoping that the baseball one, it does, you know, also hit a home run in terms of opening <laughs> chapters. Because then, like, it'd be the first time you could truly say, wow, like, this is a round with all these new series and every one of them is, like, really interesting right out the gate. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, but that finally about does it for all of our serialization news, but uh, we still have a lot more news to cover, and I think we're going to go right into uh, all the licensing news we have to talk about. Lum, if you want to go ahead and start us off. Sure, well, we are going to talk about this series more next time when we talk about all the new simulpubs, but Manga Plus has added a new addition to kind of compensate for all the recent conclusions on there. And that is Don't Bless Sakimi-san by Shigure Tokita. This is a relatively recent new series. I think it was only like nine-ish chapters out in Japan right now. So with the first three chapters published all at once on Manga Plus, I think we'll get caught up pretty quickly as new chapters will update every Monday. And basically the premise of this, it's somewhat similar to Komi-san in that there's this very popular girl who seems super poised and confident and friendly with everyone except the main character. With the main character, she suddenly acts very cold, and the main dude, he doesn't know why. But when he eventually, like, confronts her because she's, like, lingering at his desk, he basically discovers her secret is that she actually has a crush on him and just gets embarrassed and flustered around him. And then after some Miku shenanigans, they actually just start dating. It's very cute, very wholesome. A very nice romantic comedy read. 
Yeah, I was kind of flipping through it a little bit, and uh, yeah, it, it seemed pretty cute. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, we'll we'll definitely talk about it a bit more uh, when we finally do get to simul pubs. But uh, speaking of simul pubs, actually, uh, just a quick mention that uh, Yen Press has basically confirmed that they are indeed uh, simul pubbing the manga version of So I'm a Spider. So what? Starting with chapter forty six. Uh, so basically, uh, you'll be able to read Simul Pub chapters uh, available basically wherever Simul Pubs are, you know, on Kindle, Comixology, Bookwalker, the usual places. So, you know, if, if you were interested in keeping up with So I'm Aspire, So What, there you go. Now you can uh, do so officially. Mm-hmm. Starting with chapter 46. So get caught up uh, and jump into the story of the spider. Now we're going to talk about an interesting thing in that. There were two manga releases localizations that were canceled recently. It's rare that we talk about canceled licenses, but there were two cases. One is that local manga has canceled their localization of Reroots Prince Noir. They cite that US, U.S. obscenity laws are the cause for the cancellation of the release. Like, there are legal barriers that are on their control. Specifically, they cite... U.S. Code 1466A, uh, which is a law against uh, physical shoda, quote-unquote, and mental shoda. And this, of course, refers to underage male characters in media. But, yeah, it's interesting. I thought, based on the cover art, this was, like, about adult characters. But uh, maybe they missed something in the book when they vocalized it. And, like, oh, no, this is not gonna fly. But a curious case of a cancelled release here, as is probably the long overdue cancellation of Sekai Project's localization of Gate, which they seemingly had been working on for five years, because they first licensed it in 2016, and they took pre-orders for the first two volumes of the series in January 2016, and only just recently shipped the second volume, but... Yeah, they apparently just ran into a bunch of production issues like print delays and all sorts of problems with the quality. They outright admit that they dropped the ball on this release, and so that's why they have canceled their localization just entirely. Uh, but they are offering to partner or assist anyone who does relicense the series. So this is a kind of amusing case of just... Uh, a localization effort that just completely fell flat on its face. Yeah, they really make it sound like they just like weren't ready for manga publication uh, whatsoever, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, they are more of a games publisher. So yeah, I, I mean, producing games is a little different than uh, manga. So, But uh, there is a new publisher like a licensor in the game of when a new manga website Kose manga and yeah they basically have launched basically a site where you can read a bunch of the manga they've licensed and translated for free such as the series being shima haruni's uh wolf and her little red riding hood a het girl finds herself at a lesbian matchmaker party, as well as Kubota Fumio's Azatot and she from The Office and Senta Hiroki's Weapon Girl. And it's interesting, Kose Manga has set up basically a Patreon for their translation site and efforts. And basically the goal of the Patreon is because they are an indie publisher 
who like basically you know pay for translating and working on this out of their own pocket you know the patrons just like to help them kind of sustain their efforts and uh you know that uh, i think it's a pretty admirable goal like they are just licensing a few kind of smaller titles uh they're a smaller team so yeah i think you know, it's a, it's a worthwhile cause to probably support them. And I will say, I really find Het Girl, uh, finds herself at a lesbian matchmaker party really amusing. I did read, like, old Struthies, and maybe we'll talk a little about them next time. But uh, I, uh, Het Girl at the lesbian matchmaker party is very funny. It's, like, the, from the perspective of, like, an actual lesbian character who is there, who has, like, noticed that this straight girl is also there, and she's trying to help her out. It's, it's, it's very amusing. So I like that one for sure. That's my main big wreck but all the other series are actually quite uh interesting as well and fun to read mm-hmm. yeah i thought this was really interesting because uh this is this is not something that uh we see a lot of publishers really dabble in as far as like patreon goes and i mean you know i'm, I'm interested in seeing uh seeing if other publishers will maybe possibly take up this sort of model moving forward i mean i guess i can't really imagine a lot of publishers doing this kind of thing but it would be it would be interesting to see if, like, you know, time will tell if maybe they set a trend. I don't know. It would be kind of neat. I guess, I don't know if it's really the same thing. I mean, I've seen other, like, manga artists kind of support, like, English translations of their work through Patreon before. So, you know, I guess this isn't the first time I've seen this kind of thing. But, like, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see. You don't, you don't see it a lot. Obviously, we'll, uh, we'll leave links in the show notes for anybody who wants to check this out. Uh, their Patreon is at patreon.com slash kozemanga. Uh, so, you know, if you want to check out their work, obviously their work is free. And, you know, if you want to support them, this is the best way to do it. So, uh, but I guess we should uh, we should talk about our next license. Yeah, Tuttle Publishing has licensed a new book. So say Gi Natsume and Shiroru Kobata's I Am A Cat, the manga edition. Basically, the pitch for this is that it's a tale of a cat with no name but great wisdom. And it's out on September 28th. And yeah, just uh, another cute cat manga, it looks like. Satirizing the foolishness of upper middle class Japanese society in early 20th century Tokyo. So yeah, if you want a funny little uh, cat manga that's also a social satire, here you go. I want to say this is... This is based on like a pretty well known like book already, which is interesting. So I think uh, that that's what makes this cat manga a bit more interesting than others. But uh, I don't know. I'd I'd be interested in in checking this out. Mm. Uh, we I mean I mean we definitely have no shortage of cat manga. Apparently, it'd be funny if we could do like an all cat manga podcast or something. <laughs> There's certainly enough out there for an old cat manga team podcast. Heck, our old cat manga team month. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. It's it's an idea. We'll we'll, we'll write it down. Mm-hmm. That would be amusing for sure. But moving on from the smaller publishers to the bigger publishers, Seven Seas has licensed a title that is pretty exciting. A Seven Zamai anthology, of course, based on the series directed by Kanehiko Ikuhara. This anthology of short stories based on the anime from various creators is going to come out in June. And yeah, uh, it's going to be fun just having some more adventures with these characters in the world of Seven Zamai. But Yan has also licensed a couple new titles too. Three light novels, five manga, 
And we'll just go through these here. First is, on the light novel side, the detective is already dead. It's kind of come out in June. It's about a guy who was an assistant to a beautiful detective until she mysteriously died. And now she has encountered a girl who has a, a kind of resemblance to his former boss. So what's the mystery there? Well, what's the connection between these two very similar looking girls? Next, we've got I'm the Villainous Daughter, so I'm keeping The Last Boss. This is going to be out in July. This is from Saraza Nagase, illustrated by Mai Murasaki. And this is about a, this is another villainous uh, reincarnation story about a girl who regains memories of her past life in the villainous daughter role. But she decides to capture the heart of the Demon Lord in order to basically survive the situation. So... That's kind of uh, another unique little take, I suppose. Especially since the Demon Lord looks to be more of the monster sort. I do like the design of the character, too. And then we have Spy Classroom, written by Takamachi, illustrated by Tomari. First volume of this is out in July. Basically, a spy manga about the world's greatest spy infiltrating an organization dedicated to tackling missions is impossible. But it remains to be seen why the seven members of this group have no experiences. So there's something going on there that is up with, like, these spies are really green to the game. But they've all been brought together. Why is that? I mean, I guess we'll have to see. But moving on to the manga front, we've got Captivated by You by Yama Yama. This is coming out in July. It's basically a story about, you know, high school relationships that are captivating in older, interesting, unique ways. That's basically the brunt of the summary. It's very vague, but the cover art it shows a guy sweating up while studying, so hmm, it could be an interesting like slice of life. And we've got the maid I hired recently it is mysterious. This comes from Wakame Kanbu. It's gonna come out in June. It's about a very enigmatic maid who's super good, but there's just something not quite right about her. So interesting, intriguing story. I it seems about a, a maid with a secret that she's had it. And then we've got a new Yuri manga. The whole of humanity is gone Yuri except for me. This comes from Hiroki Haruze. This is coming out in June. And yeah, it's basically about a girl who ends up in a world where only women exist. And she discovers this just randomly while she's walking to school and seeing two girls kissing each other. So this is a very intriguing premise that I'm definitely looking forward to reading. And yeah, like it's a it's a fun idea. And then we've got a new manga from Bloom and Dew creator Neo Nakatani, Farewell to My Altar. It's basically just a collection of short stories and illustrations, but I love Nakatani's style, uh, her art style. I also love uh, their writing, so I'm definitely looking forward to reading more of their work. And then we've got uh, Eminence in the Shadow by Henri Sakano. This comes out in July, and it's just about a guy who wants to not really be in the foreground of heroism or ability. He just wants to be a mastermind working in the shadows. So that's kind of an interesting thing about a guy who basically wants to manipulate the goings on the world just from behind the scenes rather than be the forefront as the big bad or as the main hero. So I think that's an intriguing little premise there too. And the finally impressed book to talk about, one that I'm very excited about and one that's probably already out by the time you're listening to this, is the Megumi Hayashibara memoir. It's uh, called Megumi Hayabashi... Hay Megumi Hayabashi... 
Hayashi bars, <laughs> the characters that taught me everything, living life one episode at a time, basically going through all her very iconic roles and discussing what the characters and portraying those characters really meant to her. And as a big fan of Hayashi Bara, like I'm definitely excited to read it, especially since this is a simultaneous release in Japan. Like it came out Japan and US from yen on to on February twentieth. So yeah, very excited to read this. And here are Tots and all her really classic roles because she's played like pretty much a lot of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess basically by the time this episode's out, you could probably uh, pick this up. I'd definitely be interested in checking this out myself. Um, but yeah, I guess that's uh, well, I, I guess before we completely move on from Yen Press, uh, uh, I guess I just want to mention, I, I guess out of all the Yen Press licenses, uh, I'm I'm definitely probably the most interested and captivated by you. I, I I think the cover for this one really captured my attention just because it's, uh, just because the particular uh art style is not really something you see in manga quite often. It looks a little Araki. It looks like a fusion between Araki and Ito. And more Ito, I think, with this uh, design of the face. But yeah, I mean, I mean, the art looks good. The premise is just a little vague. I would say my favorites are the ones that I'm really looking forward to is Neo Nikatani's like new short story collection and uh, the whole humanity has gone Yuri. Those are the ones that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but this Villainous Daughter series, and I do think that we've seen a lot of these, you know, reincarnates of Villainous stories recently, but I do think that the twist in this one is interesting enough of a diversion. And also I do like the art on the cover too. Mm -hmm, For sure. For sure. I guess uh, we'll move on from Yen Press and uh, just mention Dark Horse really quickly because uh, they are going to be releasing an omnibus edition of the original Vampire Hunter D novels. It looks like starting on August 31st pre-orders are up for the first book you know, basically wherever books are sold. Um, so if you're a fan of Vampire Hunter D and you're really digging all the uh, the omnibus, uh, omnibuy editions, I guess, of uh, a lot of Dark Horses stuff, you know, go ahead and pick this up. Personally, I'm still waiting on them to, uh, to maybe reprint Trigun because that would be really cool. I was literally in the middle of collecting those and then I realized some volumes of those are out of print and now exorbitantly overpriced on many third-party websites and it makes me really upset dark horse what are you doing please please reprint trigun it's my solemn plea anyway that's my soapbox but uh i guess we can move on to kodansha and uh i guess um lum do you want to talk about at least one of these licenses before i go on with the rest because i think uh yeah, you don't know much about Shaman King, particularly this character. I don't know if you know, but Shaman King Marcos is a spinoff of Shaman King. It'll be out on March 9th. It's one of the more recent spinoffs, and it's basically about the leader of the X-Laws, Marco. And yeah, like at the end of Shaman King, of course, uh, everyone dies and is revived. So that includes Marco and the X-Laws as an organization should still be around. But I guess Marco's been missing. Where did he go? Is there a sinister reason behind his disappearance? I mean, I'm intrigued to find out because the X-Laws are a lot of fun. Uh, Marco in particular is very uh, great. And I'm definitely intrigued to see a manga focused about him or at least the X-Laws in general. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read Shaman King yet, so he just he just he just looks kind of cool. I have no opinion on him. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess we'll talk about the rest of these from Kodansha. A uh, lot of interesting 
uh, stuff coming from Kanacha. It seems like starting with Araki won't be tamed by oh god, uh, Kapata Kapata Rapa Rapara. It's a tongue twister. Um, Kappa Rapara. Is that how that goes? Kap- yeah. Kapara Rapara. I think that's how you Kappa pronounce it. Kappa Rapara. It- it's K-A-P-P-A. Kappa. Uh-huh. Yeah. R-A-P-P-A-R-A. Rapara. Kappa Rapara. Isn't that what I said? I don't I- think so. Well, I'll listen back to this when I edit then. Um, from 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 that author. Um, I'm not going to attempt to do it again. Uh, <laughs> so, Araki Won't Be Tamed uh, will be coming out on March 2nd. And uh, basically, this is a series about, about a girl who is uh, – who basically lives in the shadow of her younger sister who is a popular model slash actress. And so, on her 17th birthday – uh, she's basically confessed to by another super popular actor, uh, but she's basically in disbelief. She's all like, oh, well, you know, who, who could be in love with me, basically, and not my sister? And basically, uh, this forces this particular popular actor to uh, to decide, okay, well, if you won't see me as your boyfriend, then maybe I could be your pet. Mm-hmm. Yep, another shoujo pet play manga, it seems. I was going to say this got very kinky very fast. So yeah, like I said, that'll be out on March 2nd. Uh, and then moving on, we have Blue Lock um, from Muneyuki Kaneshiro and Yusuke Nomura. That'll be coming out on March 16th. And um, this takes place after Japan's defeat at the 2018 World Cup. And basically, Japan's team is struggling to regroup. And from what I can tell, basically, they, I guess they have this, like, soccer battle royale where they, like, pit a bunch of players against each other to basically uh, make up the best players to uh, compete in the next World Cup. I know a lot of people really like this series in particular. Mm-hmm, I've heard buzz. Yeah, I, I've I've seen a lot of people talk about this one, so like I guess I'm not too surprised that Kodansha picked it up, but it is it is nice to see more popular like sports series being uh, taken a chance on. That is nice to see, and I'll definitely be reading this one in particular. And then next up we have the Dawn of the Witch from Kakiru Koba, Kobashiri and Takashi Iwasaki. That'll be coming out on March 23rd. As the premise reads, uh, Serval is a magical student with no memories of his life before he met a mysterious blonde woman in an alley. And now he travels with his teacher, another student named Ross, Holt, and uh, the Beastman Kodu for special training, quote unquote. Uh, but his field trip may not be as routine as it seems. So I just kind of read it, read the synopsis because it's it's like it's vague enough to where like. Yeah, it's an amnesic on an adventure story. It's not one of those. But you know, it it, it sounds kind of neat enough. Like you know, uh, I I would probably check it out at least a little bit just to kind of see what's going on. All right, next up we have Chasing After Aoi Koshiba from Fly and Takeoka Hazuki. Uh, that'll be coming out on March twenty third, in which Sohoko has a lot of friends or had a lot of friends in high school. Uh, so there's no shortage of people to catch up with at her reunion. Uh, but the one face she wants to see is missing, and uh, that face is Aoi Koshiba, her classmate and first love. Uh, star of the basketball team, Aoi Katsuhoko's eye as an easy way to score social points. Uh, but when Aoi quits the team, an unexpected kiss pulls Sohoko closer to her than she intended to be. 
Uh, with a difficult home situation, Aoi is in need of more than just a cynical social climber. She needs a true friend and something more. So yeah, this sounds like it'll be a pretty bittersweet uh, romance story. Uh, you know, uh, not not much else I could add there. And then uh, we have uh, She's My Night by Saiso coming out on uh, March 30th. Uh, in which we have Haruma Ichinose, who is 17 years old, who has been popular ever since he was born. Uh, so popular, in fact, that he figured no one could even come close. Uh, until he meets Yuki Moga uh, Mogami, who's tall, cool, collected, and totally makes him crazy. He may just be in love, but can he deal with falling for someone even more dashing than himself? So I, 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 li I like the idea of having this uh, uh, very smug person being uh, taken down a notch. It's uh, it's not, it sounds like it could be pretty good. Oh yeah, this this last one sounds uh sounds like something I would definitely I I definitely read. That being uh, those Snow White notes from Marimo Ragawa, uh, also coming out on March thirtieth, in which basically the main grand uh the main character's grandfather dies, along with basically his unique creative spark, and uh, basically while he's grieving, he goes to Tokyo to find himself. But he manages to get lost on his very first day, and uh, he has a chance meeting with uh, with another character, uh, you, uh, a Yuna A.K. Yeah, a hostess who saves yeah. him from being robbed. Yeah, basically. And uh, at first glance, their lives seem totally different, but they're both striving for their dreams. Uh, hers of being an actress and his of developing his talent, talent with the shamisen, which I thought was interesting. And... Uh, Basically, uh, I guess the story kind of goes from there. Yeah, basically a story about two people who go to the big city to try and make it in the entertainment biz, but have to work like kind of odd jobs and like find their way there. And then we're probably working together. They'll both kind of hopefully work towards their dreams. I just thought this title was interesting because like, I don't, I mean, maybe there are more of these and I and I just don't know about them, but like I, I've never really seen like a manga about someone who like is learning how to play the shamisen in particular. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of interesting. But uh yeah, um that's basically everything from Kodansha. And I mean per personally I think Blue Lock and um and those Snow White notes are probably the ones I'm like the most interested in personally. Yeah, I think uh chasing after Aikishiba and She's My Knight are the ones that like Really caught my eye. It's something that I'm uh, really interested in reading. But I do think like uh, Blue Lock and Snow White Notes are also very intriguing as well. And of course, the Marcos one, uh, just for being about Marcos or at least the X-Loss, is also something I'm very keen to read. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's I think that's really about it for our licensing news. Yeah, now we got to get into industry stuff. And there's some big like controversies that have happened recently. A lot of them are related to playing translators' fair rates. First up is Metabang. Like, basically, two translators spoke up about this. Friend of the show, David Evelyn and Meru, they basically talked about the egregious practice of Metabang, where they were paying their translators only 120 yen per page. And, yeah, just to quote Meru here, like, a company really shows you who they are when they respond to your application, which demonstrates that you're a highly qualified and experienced translator with a copy-paste email offering 120 yen per page of manga translation. And, yeah, Metabank's that company. 
And yeah, like they, as David uh, went on his tweet, like they off, like they demand like quite a bit of proficiency and experience. And despite having like all these requirements, they are paying such a pity amount. It is oh, yeah. insulting. And yeah, like it seems very uh, exploitative, their practices. And Metabag responded to basically this, you know, call out saying, quote unquote, that, oh, no, 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 our rate is just an initial starting price. It'll fluctuate based on the project type and experience, uh, which is bullshit, obviously. Like, <laughs> in no way is effectively a dollar and 16 cents per page at an affordable, acceptable rate. Depending on the manga, I mean, one page could take a translator an hour. You don't know how text-heavy something could be. You know? Like, that's insane. That is insane rate. Yeah. There's way less... No matter how you cut it, you're forcing translators to work less than minimum wage on whatever project you are working on. But anyway, Metabang basically had to do, you know, PR cleanup stuff and trying to reassure people that, oh, you know, this is just uh, the lowest rate we offer. Uh, we we understand, you know, the, the criticism and the, the, what people are, you know, complaining about the misunderstanding. You know, we'll take the feedback to heart and make improvements. But it's, you know, it's one of these statements that have to make excuses for themselves before giving this vague, non-committal promise to do better. So who knows? Who knows? For the record, according to Meru, $5 per page is closer to the industry standard, which is still way too low, in my opinion. But, you know, who knows? Like, this is still egregious that they were not even paying a fifth of, they were only paying, like, little more than a, a fifth of that for a page, Metabag. Like, that is uh, ridiculous. But yeah, like, as Meryl also pointed, just to go on their quote again, like, to ask freelancers to agree to a starting rate without any information about when they can expect that rate to go up is, like, a red flag, like... Yeah, basically, Metabang, very exploitative company that it basically profits off of underpaying their labor that produces the content that is their bread and butter. So, yeah, we'll see if they actually improve their rates, but uh, just a thing to keep an eye on and, you know, maybe like avoid supporting directly them and their practices. But uh, Metabang is not the only one that has come under fire for these poor translation rates. Because Inker, the company that was formerly Manga Rock, essentially, they were also come under fire for basically admitting they only paid one cent per character for English, Japanese English translation. And obviously, that's even worse than... The metabank thing, but because if you can think about like how much on page, like it, that's nothing. Uh, but now apparently they're claiming that they're, they've adjusted their rates to be on industry of average. And then they also try to justify their criticisms lobbying against them about trying to use machine translations, undercut translator pay and low, produce low quality work. And then they, they comment that, oh, no, we, we created something called Inker Localized, a specialized software meant to make the process of localizing comics faster, easier, by automating activities. And I've seen the demo video that they showed, and uh, it just looks, it's just 
all automated, like, completely inconsiderate nonsense. Like, it's not really actually going to make the work easier because, you know, these automatic processes, they're not fine-tuned enough to fit the needs. It's just going to create an homogenized look and layout of look and formatting to all this lettering and the translation. So it's, it's just... A completely misguided software and the fact that they're trying to justify like keeping their rates down by having their freelance translators or letters use the software is also egregiously insulting yeah especially considering you know like we mentioned this is the company that you know used to be manga rock um which you know i would i would have to imagine like you know to, uh, all, all the uh i'm assuming they made a lot of money you know, unfortunately, through that service, like piracy. You, yeah, you would think you would think they'd probably be able to afford to actually, if, if they were trying to go legit, which I'm, I feel like we're pretty doubtful. You know, I I don't trust them personally, but you know, if they were going to try to go legit, you would think they'd have enough money to pay at least a decent starting rate for you know new translators. I would think so anyway, but I don't know. At the very least. They should offer the industry standard, and honestly, again, the industry standard probably should be raised, but again, at least $5 a page to be in line with everyone else, rather than trying to underpay and trying to justify their underpayment by creating this software that is just going to create more problems. Like, basically, the letterer and translator might have to basically redo the entire thing because of the machine translation and automatic lettering it doesn't work so yeah like th th this is this is the kind of thing that doesn't take into account like any kind of like nuance that might be in the dialogue yeah. or anything like our personality basically yeah i mean i mean look i'm not that surprised that uh you know like th this is also the same company that like is also partnering with people like tokyo pop so like this is just a hive mind of like of people who probably shouldn't be trusted anywhere near manga. Quite honestly, um, I'm also quite surprised that Kodansha in particular has like announced a we didn't we didn't mention it, but they announced a partnership with them recently. And I I know Kodansha basically wants to like you know put the put out their stuff everywhere like as many places as they can. And and like you know compared to other publishers, I kind of appreciate that, but like. I wish they were a little more picky and choosy about like who they decide to work with. I don't know. May maybe maybe one day we'll look back on this and be like, oh man, remember when we didn't trust Inker or whatever? But like until that day comes, I just I just don't I don't trust I don't trust Manga Rock. Well, maybe they can cr become a Crunchyroll and then just become so big that they're unignorable, but uh, even Crunchyroll is still messing up with how much they offer their translators, underpaying them, and not uh, treating them all. So, you know, we will see. I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just have to see. I mean, is it too much to ask just to treat the people who are working for you well, paying them well, you know? Apparently, yeah. Well, you know, even established companies are still messing up as we go on to talk about a lawsuit that has been thrown against Funimation for violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. Basically, the plaintiff, Janice Angelis, who is legally blind, you know, she filed this lawsuit on behalf of herself and others similarly situated 
because, you know, they were trying to navigate the Funimation shop website on many occasions to make purchases, but she couldn't do that. She couldn't, like, actually use the site because the website lacks a variety of features and accommodations, you know, necessary for people who are blind to basically navigate the internet because how it works is that there is, like, alt text that is encoded into websites and people who have screen reading software can use that to basically like read that aloud in order to understand like what is on a web page. But uh, Foundation's website lacks that. It, it just does not have proper label elements or title attributes for each field on the design. Um, pages have like same title elements and broken links. And basically, this makes it kind of impossible for people who are visually impaired to, you know, make purchases or navigate the website at all. So it is basically kind of true negligence, uh, discrimination. And yeah, so basically this lawsuit has been filed against Funimation to force them to comply with the web content accessibility guidelines for the website. And yeah, that is basically the goal of this lawsuit is just to force Funimation to finally, you know, make these adjustments and make their website more accessible and navigatable. Because basically law sites like this, that is generally how they're designed because company, negligent companies, you know, they will ultimately cop to just making the necessary changes rather than going through the protracted legal process. Like, it, it ultimately is more efficient and cost-effective for them to actually finally make the changes rather than to defend themselves in court and go through this legal hassle. So, you know, hopefully that is what Funimation does. They do actually make their website more accessible, finally. And, yeah, it's just egregious, though, that a company like Funimation, one of the biggest names in this in the anime industry is just so negligent of just doing these basic, basic, you know, accommodations for accessibility. Especially for a company that is now backed by Sony. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of, again, it is really frustrating that it takes someone just to file a lawsuit, to go through the effort of investing in time and money to create this lawsuit just so that they can force this big company to actually make changes. like. It is really infuriating, honestly. But, you know, hopefully they will make these changes. And anyone else, any other uh, companies in the industry who also aren't compliant will also follow suit. Now, speaking of companies finally making long-awaited, long-needed updates, Crunchyroll has finally, as of this last December, updated their uh, manga reader to HTML5. So they... Did it just in the nick of time? They moved away from Flash. The reader still is not perfect. It still is buggy with times pages don't load and uh, stuff like that. So it's not it's not a perfect fix, but uh, you know, at least I guess it's usable. Uh, because if they kept with Flash, it wouldn't have been. And yeah, I mean, other problems with Country Among are still there, of like chapters being uploaded late or inconsistently or whatnot. But, you know, at least this is one change, finally. They have uh, improved on. I guess, I don't know. To, to me, it just sounds like they just did the bare minimum. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is true. It's so hard to do the bare minimum. Yeah. If you, if you take away anything from this podcast, uh, that's uh, 
companies need to do more than the bare minimum. Mm. But uh, just to kind of move away from uh, a lot of this more depressing news, or or, or, uh, or I guess, you know, depending on how you look at this, maybe this is still kind of depressing, but... I think it's amusing, this next piece of news, honestly. I mean, yeah. So let's 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 talk about how the print market has only decreased one percent in Japan in 2020, uh, which is interesting. Uh, according to the Shupan Geppo monthly publication journal, uh, this is basically the smallest per year decline since 2006. And uh, for for 2020 in particular, basically, uh, Shupan Geppo attributes this small decline. Uh, basically due to all the reading that has take, p- taken place in Japan during, you know, lockdown and COVID-19 and whatnot. Uh, but also due to just how successful Demon Slayer is. So li- literally, I think it's safe to say if it weren't if it weren't for the boom in popularity of Demon Slayer, the decrease would have been, I think, more. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it does also say that sales of children's books also increased during the school closures. So I think that it would have still been less than what the decline was in 2019, which is 4.3%. But yeah, I think Demon Slayer is the reason why it is this low, the lowest in 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really sounds like because of Demon Slayer, uh, like if it didn't like strike in popularity when it did, I really wonder what Japan would have looked like financially otherwise. Because uh, did we did we talk about on this podcast about how? Uh, Gotoke won an award for basically saving the Japanese economy. Yeah. I mean, it's also uh, worth noting that sales of electronic publications actually grew 28% from the previous year, which marks the second basically consecutive year of growth. And yes, this is also attributable to uh, significant sales of Kinetsu Yuriaiba digitally. And combined, pro-printed electronic publications uh, grew 4.8% over the tr- previous year. So the combined uh, books market has grown. Although electronic books account for 24.3% of total publications, so about one fourth. Mm-hmm. So I guess as far as that goes, there's there's nothing new there. Like I think we're just gonna we're gonna see that every year as as print declines, digital will just go up. Mm-hmm. That's that's nothing new there. But I again I, I just find it so interesting how basically Demon Slayer evened everything out for the most part, which you know, I don't know if that's necessarily like a good thing or not, but I think it's amusing again that one series had that much power. I mean, look, could, could can you say that One Piece saved the Japanese economy? I don't think so. That's my that's my small jab at One Piece for no reason. I mean, yeah, we'd have to we'd have to <laughs> go back ten years to see just uh, how people reacted to that too. But I mean, Demon Slayer is like 2.5 times uh, more successful last year than One Piece was in the year of its peak, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like a quite a different scale. No, yeah, for sure. But uh, sales are not only, you know, overall increasing just in the Japanese side, because uh, in the American side, like adult graphic novel sales also saw quite a big jump. Basically, there was a 30% sales jump in 2020 of adult graphic novels, and manga is usually lumped in with adult graphic novels, even though you know a lot of these are for kids, but uh, th- I guess just the way the industry likes to lump it together. Like, over here, they put all the old manga-based in adult graphic novels section, so yeah. Among, like, the top-selling adult graphic novels of 2020, 
there are five volumes of My Academia. Of this. course, half of them, half of the top ten selling graphic novels period of 2020 are just my hero academia volume one was number two volume two number four volume 24 number six volume three number seven and volume 23 number nine in addition to that there are two other manga on this list demon slayer volume one was number five and uzumaki was number 10 so seven out of the 10 highest selling graphic novels in the north american market in 2020 were manga 70 percent which is pretty crazy I'm more surprised that uh, that there were any other manga other than My Hero Academia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Demon Slayer, top five. Uh, but yeah, I guess there's a manga also just barely nudged in top ten. But yeah, I mean, it's also interesting that only three of the books on the top ten list of 2020, like, and these include My Hero Academia 2324, actually debuted in 2020. But yeah, I mean, just... Again, I think this shows the power of My Hero Academia in particular, but also the power of manga in the graphic novel market, how much it dominates. Oh, yeah. Like, it is the category that saw the highest year-to-year growth, a 43.7% increase over 2019. It drove 80% of the overall adult graphic novel category's growth. Like, it is the driving force of increasing sales. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 crazy, yeah. And overall, North American print book sales increased 8.2% over the previous year. But yeah, as mentioned, the adult graphic novel category grew 3.5 times more than that average increase in sales between all types of books. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that manga is doing well over here. Yes. But as sales increase, that only encourages the need to continue the fight against piracy and illegal distribution. And it seems a lot of Japanese publishers are taking that very seriously, continue to do so at the very least, especially the editor of Attack on Titan made a statement basically in December regarding copyright infringement of the manga, basically saying that Kodansha is taking strict action against illegal uploads of the work. They're trying to identify the roots of these leaks and all other illegal uploads are also under discussion with the police and basically going to say, hey, just support the official release. And not only are they continuing to try and combat the piracy and copyright infringement of books, but also they are looking to find and define copyright rules on other types of potential infringement. And this also includes, it seems, cosplay. Basically, they are considering rules to allow copyright holders to regulate cosplayers who earn income from their cosplay activity. So just cosplaying in public, it's just not, it's not considered, you know, infringement, but making money from cosplaying and basically selling photos or videos of your cosplaying, that is potentially going to be undergrounds of infringing on copyright and violating copyright law. So there's no definitive position on this just yet. They're just discussing the issue. It's like they're seeking opinions from both copyright holders and cosplayers, but no legislation is in play yet, but they are considering it. So it is something to look out for, especially people in the cosplayer community who do make a living off their work and they put a lot of work into what they make. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something to consider. And there was a... There was a lawmaker who basically explained the implications of these laws, Taro Yamada, and 
Yeah, they do feel that, you know, people are worried that this is going to have bad implications for, you know, gospel and derivative works. Uh, they are promising that they're going to try their best to protect fan culture, but it is just a tricky issue of, like, you know, personal cosplay in itself isn't copyright infringement, but if you are making, like, something that, like, is clearly based on work that other that companies or creators hold a copyright to and you're selling something that is very directly based on their work that is kind of the tricky issue where that definitely looks like copyright infringement so the line is like very difficult so it's a very complicated topic that you know a lot of people are discussing like the legal implications of and there has not been a decision like made on it yet but it's basically an effort of like trying to protect the works of creators and also trying to protect just the freedom of expression of fans and fans who also express and create a living from just, you know, exploring the work uh, that they do based on, you know, their love, the series that they're a fan of. So, yeah, it is a complicated issue. It's going to be interesting to see how it develops. But now we are going to head into some big news. I mean, again, we just talked about Demon Slayer's big impact on Japanese sales. But obviously, it isn't just print sales where Demon Slayer was dominating. Because Demon Slayer, obviously the Infinity Train movie, it is the highest grossing film of all time in Japan. It is the number one Japanese film. and surpassed Spirit Away for that accolade. It has sold like... It's like sold $350 million in Japan, which is far and away surpasses like what Spirited Away earned in its run. So, yeah, like it's number one film in Japan. Worldwide for 2020, it is the highest grossing animated film. And it also is top four highest grossing films of 2020 worldwide. Like, and it, it's still climbing, so who knows if it could even breach into the top three, or, I mean, who knows how many legs this will have when this finally will open in, like, China or whatever. Maybe it could even take top one. I mean, it's, it's something to see, but uh, that's still quite a bit of gap between it and the number one film of 2020. But, yeah. I mean, even so, it isn't currently surpassed Spirited Away as the number one. Well, actually, I think it might have. I think it might have, you know, passed Spirited Away by the time you're listening to this as the number one Japanese film worldwide, like in terms of worldwide grosses. Because Spirited Away's worldwide total was 383 million. I think Demon Slayer has surpassed that at the time of this recording. Ah, okay. I I was going to say, because it definitely passed that in Japan in particular, right? Well, in, yeah, in Japan, it's like 350, 360 million right now. Okay. And then worldwide, it is basically 390 million. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I, I can't believe we live in a world where 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 a Shonen Jump film, uh, basically just dethroned spirit, uh, dethroned a uh, a Miyazaki work. Yeah. That's 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 insane to me. Yeah, I mean Miyazaki doesn't care. He's like, when people try to interview him, he was like, "Why do you? Do- I don't care. I'm picking up trash. There's a lot of trash. Why don't we focus on the things that matter?" 
I gotta focus on the things that matter, like taking care of my house. I have trash everywhere. <laughs> no, Bizak is picking up trash in the street. That's the thing he does. Is that he? No, I, I, I know, but it's, I, it, it is so funny how like I, I did see that around like. You know, like, I, I, I totally get, like, wanting to kind of pick Miyazaki's brain on certain things, but also, like, the dude's old. Just leave him alone. He doesn't, he doesn't give a make shit. films for money. He, he's an artiste. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he... Maybe he thinks of himself that pretentiously. He certainly is, like, a, a very tough and hard-to-work filmmaker, for sure. Like, he oh, is, yeah. He is very precious about the, his work. But anyway, back to Demon Slayer, obviously, to just go back into the success of the manga, like, not only was it the highest-selling manga of last year, but another, you know, interesting thing that it did is that three of its volumes were the first since 2008 to sell 500 million copies each in print, which is... Quite astounding. Like, this is the first time in Oricon's history that, like, stream manga volumes, individual volumes, have each sold more than 5 million copies. And these are, like, the eight first and seventh volumes of Demon Slayer. Basically, the first volume and then the infinite, the volumes that encompass the Infinity Train arc. So it's interesting that those volumes have sold more than uh, <laughs> the volumes before it. But, uh, again, it shows you just the draw and how hype people were for the Infinity Train arc. I think this does go to show though just kind of the power that an anime adaptation has because obviously demon slayers jump in sales like they were definitely motivated by that anime adaptation just the perfect storm of like that anime coming out when it was and also what was having the manga at the time and i think the similar case is happening right now with jujutsu kaisen which is going to be interesting to see develop because jujutsu kaisen's circulation it was like about 8.5 at the beginning of October. Then the anime started. And then very quickly, like right now, it has jumped to like 30 million. Wow. At the time of this. Yeah. Like it has jumped fast in the anime isn't even over yet. Just in the last couple months, it has just been growing and growing as people have been buying and buying. I think it is definitely like a shoe in just in the sales that are in so far for like maybe the number two too high selling it depends on like if demon slayer sustains its sales which it is right now but yeah jujutsu kaisen i think we're also seeing exploding right now and i don't know if it's going to be a demon slayer level you know big hit on the same scale but uh it is big i don't know if it'll be demon slayer big but like so far this is like i uh, this this looks like the only thing that could even like come close at all Maybe. Yeah, I mean, unless something else surprises us. I mean, the year is just beginning, but yeah, Jujutsu Guys is already starting off on a really strong start uh, for the coming year in terms of sales, mm -hmm. with the circulation just jumping by this much. But obviously, yeah, with Demon Slayer being so popular, you know, there's obviously going to be more on the way, even though the series is over. Like, there's a new fan book that's going to come out later in the year that's going to include three one-shot manga and yeah i mean that's already out actually so you can check that out this uh the one-shots in this are basically showing uh what happened to tanjiro and other characters at the manga's conclusion uh, some of the demons from the series and then the last one is basically some of gotoki's real stories like real like kind of anecdotes from their time drawing the manga during its serialization so, yes, you know, I'm just interested to see if, like, Viz or anyone will pick up all this extra Demon Slayer material, because clearly the series is exploding here as well. So light novels, all these, you know, art books and side manga things, I do wonder if we'll 
get those licenses at some point too. I would be very surprised if we don't see some kind of announcement sometime this year, honestly. Um, but yeah, that's not the only thing we're getting, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with the insane success of both the TV series and the film, the film especially, we are getting more Demon Slayer anime. And we were in question of, like, would this be a TV series? Would this be a movie? Because... We do know Shueisha, Aniplex, TV Tokyo, Toho, they were all basically discussing like what the future of the Demon Slayer franchise would be, what direction you want to take it in. But I think this was set in play before the film was in production. So basically what's happening is that the TV anime is continuing with the Entertainment District arc and it's going to come out later this year. So we are at least getting one core... About the entertainment district arc. I don't know if they're going to do like more seasons of the TV anime or they're going to return to films at some point because I, you know, again, Toho is also definitely interested, I'm sure, in doing films. I think also Shoeisha is too because like the film success is like, okay, there's, there's money to be there, but, uh, you know, clearly they had this idea to do continue with the entertainment district arc as a TV anime before that, if it's coming out this fast. So yeah, and the trailer is already out too, showing like parts already complete. So I mean, production seems to have been well on its way. So yeah, this is something to look forward to. Oh yeah, when I woke up to this news this morning, I was actually, I was very, very excited. Uh, I definitely can't wait to see more of the anime. Oh yeah. Back to box office news. I mean, we mentioned how Demon Slayer basically helped the print market, uh, stave off a decline it did the same thing for the japanese box office like obviously it still declined because theaters were closed for so long but it did not drop as dramatic as it could have it only dropped about 45 percent because demon slayer accounts for one fourth of the overall box office revenue in japan for last year wow like basically one fourth of all the box office sales were for to the Demon Slayer Infinity Train movie, which is uh, quite insane. It's also interesting to see basically what films ranked as the highest grossing films of Japan in 2020. Obviously, Demon Slayer was number one with quite a gap between it and the number two. Like it had, obviously, Demon Slayer at the time of the end of 2020 sold about $351 million in sales. And then the number two film was actually the live-action adaptation of Kyokara Oriwa, which only had about a sixth of the sales of the Demon Slayer movie, <laughs> which was uh, $51 million. But uh, there were quite a few anime films that did quite well in Japan last year, ranking in the top 20. These including the latest Doraemon movie, that sold about $32 million. That came in number four highest grossing film in Japan. The number seven highest grossing film was The Violet Arrow Garden Warning. That was about $21 million. The ninth highest was Fate Stay Night Heaven's Feel Spring Song. That was about $19 million. Heroes Rising uh, came in at number 10, about $70 million. When you compare just the scale of how much more Demon Slayer was to, to the My Hero Academia movie, it's, it's quite insane just to think that the sheer difference in popularity there. But, you know, that third movie is on its way. We'll see uh, how that fares. And then the latest Shin Chan movie that came in number 17 with 11 million. And Lupin the First came in at number 19 with about 11 million, too. So, yeah, there were quite a few successful anime films in Japan last year. And obviously, when you factor in adaptations, live action adaptations of anime manga properties, that also did quite well. So, yeah, they're definitely driving uh, the box office sales in Japan for sure. 
I like how the top 10 list like starts with something from Shonen Jump and ends with something from Shonen Jump. It's a nice bookend. Yeah. It's also, but again, just Demon Slayer at the top. When you compare that in 2019, the highest grossing film is Wedding With You, and its gross was $129 million. Demon Slayer has done like three times that. It is uh, pretty insane. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in in how this film is going to do over here. I mean, assume, yeah. assuming that it, you know, shows in enough theaters. Yeah, I mean, they. I do not think they're going to take this straight to stream, and they are going to show this in theaters. There's just too much, like, potential there for them not to do that. I just, I mean, obviously, I hope that they wait to just the right moment where enough people are vaccinated and it's safe again for people to feel comfortable going out in theaters. Because, like, too early, they they just, I think, not only are they creating an unsafe condition or circumstances for people who really want to see this film to go to theaters, but also, I think they're going to miss out on a lot of, basically, revenue that they could get otherwise by waiting. But you never know what Aniplex and what their stipulations are, because they did ultimately show Fate Stay Night Spring song after delaying it last year in U.S. theaters. So I don't know. I, I guess it depends on like how Aniplex wants this to be done. But in that case, they maybe it's because they already had something planned with Fathom. They were obligated to do it before the end of the year. Maybe. In this case, we know that Funimation is handling the distribution of this, and they don't go through Fathom. They do it. You know, they have. The, they are their own distributor. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how this is gonna play. I definitely think that they want to give it as much reach as possible, though. And, you know, they hired, like, an agency to help promote the film as well. Like, overseas Lucky Helmet. So, uh, it's curious to see how that's going to play into this, too. Like, what kind of marketing they might do for this. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah. But there's other movie news to look forward to. Like, a new Mamoru Hasoda film. That's right. Hasoda has come back with his next work since Mirai. It's called Bell. Ryu to Sabakasu no Hime, or Princess of Dragons of Freckles. It's going to open uh, in this summer. He's writing and directing it. He created the original work. It's basically a film celebrating the 10th anniversary of Studio 2. It's uh, going to portray an ever-evolving online world taking place in an online world called Yu with 5 billion registered users. And yeah, it's basically... It, it draws a lot of comparisons to our war game and Summer Wars. It's going to... You know, cover similar teams exploring modern society, but kind of updated with Hosoda's more recent insights and understanding of family, coming of age, love between parents and children, friendship, all that stuff that he explores in his films, but has kind of matured in his exploration of those themes as he's, you know, grown up and become a father and whatnot. So I'm curious to see, like, the next stage of Hosoda's, like, evolution and, like, discussion of these themes. And especially returning to kind of like a setting that he's explored twice before, too, in like this kind of online world. Yeah, I, I hope he's able to kind of like build upon that and hopefully like, look, I, I love Summer Wars. It's it's actually like one of my favorite films just in general. But I like I said, I, I really hope it's not just like just Summer Wars again. I hope he is able to build upon these like similar themes that he has like explored in other movies. Uh, but but like you said, it possibly in a more mature way now that he is a father and he has been a father for i think years at this point so mm -hmm. so it'll, it'll be interesting to see yeah 
Back on the subject of franchise films, we've got a new Seven Least Films film coming out this summer. It's going to be basically a sequel to the series, essentially, like taking place kind of out there, the end of the, the series. So yeah, it's going to be an all-new story by Nakaba Suzuki. And yeah, there's not too much else we know about it just yet, but it is kind of interesting that I mean, Seven Least Films was already a series that had like kind of protracted endings, and it has a like time skip flash forward ending so i mean i wonder what this epilogue is going to explore but based on the title curse my light i guess maybe something more to do with like the angels or or something so yeah but uh this not the only interesting new franchise film that's going to be coming because apparently there's a new slam dunk film on the way it was funny how this was teased like talking in a way on his twitter account was basically like tweeted a gif and originally like the gift didn't work so people were wondering like what's up what is what are they treating about but then they fixed it and it's basically like yeah slam dunk movie and people were wondering is this going to be anime or live action but since the website for the film lists toei and the film is described as an anime i think it's going to be anime so yeah yeah new anime slam dunk film uh we don't really know if this is going to be like a continuation or epilogue of the series or this going to be an integration of the series but hey it's cool to see a new slam dunk anime project after decades at this point so i'm looking forward to it and hopefully it could get licensed or released over here whenever it comes out i mean considering the fact that like those new editions of the manga were doing really well um a year or two back, a few years ago yeah yeah i'm i'm not that surprised that they were like hey we should we should make a new slam dunk thing huh um, but yeah, I'm personally, I'm hoping this is like, I, I'm, I'm hoping they go back and cover, you know, the portion of the manga they didn't get to cover originally. That's what I'm hoping for personally. Ah, uh, that's true. They, I don't think they covered the final match, so that would be cool to see animated finally. I mean, if, if they do decide to do like, I guess, re, like, not recap, but like retelling movies or something, that would kind of bum me out a little bit, but like... You know, new newly animated Slam Dunk isn't a bad thing. Like, you know, I I think originally uh, I had tried the anime before and I wasn't super into it just because I knew it didn't cover the whole series. But like looking back on it, like I don't think it's like a bad anime. Like it yeah. looks it looks good. I think I would like it a lot better if I like revisit it. But like I'm because, you know, Toei is capable of doing really good things, especially when it comes to their movies. So I. I think Slam Dunk in movie form, I think, will still look better than the anime. But, like, I trust that this will be good, hopefully, so. Yeah, I think so, too. Speaking of other classic franchises getting a new film, Chibi Maruko-chan is getting a new film. But this is interesting because it's an international film. It's being produced in China as a 3D CG film. And that has me curious. I mean, we're definitely seeing that a lot of anime films. Like, we're seeing... The production companies, they are trying to make films that appeal more to international audiences and expand their reach. But this is like the first time I've seen like a franchise quite as big as Maruko-chan, like the get an animated product co-production from another country. But yeah, this is going to open out in 2022. And since they are seemingly going to try and make this kind of like an internationally distributed film. And since we do get more and more like Chinese uh films like being distributed in North America in particular I'm like hoping that this could see reach overseas and hopefully to our shores like I definitely like to watch it because I really enjoy Maruko-chan but yeah it's definitely a curious thing 
I mean, if if things are better by then, like I would definitely check this out. I would love to see this in a theater. Yeah. Other interesting annotations on the way, and now we're heading into the live action side of things. BL Metamorphosis getting a live action film. We don't really have too many details about it, but yeah, I mean, BL Metamorphosis is a really cute, charming series about two BL loving women from different ages and walks of life, like kind of spawn over the love of boys' love. So yeah, I think that translates very well to live action, basically setting and content wise. So I'm definitely curious to see like uh, reactions to how it plays out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think this has a better chance of translating to live action more than the next thing, probably. Yeah, Slash Select series usually do fare better in uh, adaptation into live action than battle shonen manga that are focused on fighting demons and spirits and whatnot. And that is going to be the case with a Yu Yu Hakusho that is getting a live action series on Netflix. It's Japanese produced, not American produced, so you don't have to worry about that necessarily. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it seems like it's going to be produced by a guy, Katsu Taka Sakamoto, who, you know, has experience. Like, he likes the manga a lot, and it does an impact on him. He's trying to gather, you know, a team of the best talent from Japan and abroad to work on this. And the, the producer is a Robot, and Akira Mori, who has worked on Wild Zen and Braveheart Umisato. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see how this live-action adaptation turns out. I mean, because it's on Netflix, the one thing that is nice is that we're probably going to be guaranteed the ability to watch it here internationally, like in the U.S. So, uh, you know, curious to check it out. It's uh, It's an interesting thing, for sure. Yeah, this was um this was definitely really surprising when um Netflix first tweeted it out about this. I um I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Um I mean, I don't know. I'm like I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, a lot of the newer um live action adaptations coming because they are it's like, you know, with this and like you know, like the like the One Piece show that I'm sure is still in production like you know, it, it seems like these properties are being handled by people who genuinely care about the source material. So, like, you know, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, we'll get a better product than normal because of that. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what they could do with Yu Yu Hakusho. Um, I'm definitely going to be watching that when it comes up on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But now we're going to get into some new anime adaptation announcements. And the first of these is that Shinobu Otaka's Orient is getting a TV anime. Not too many details about when it's coming out or who's doing it. But yeah, Orient has been done by Otaka for like three years now. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's finally see a new work of hers animated. It's kind of a shame that we never got like Magi completely animated. Like only half of that series was ever animated. So... I mean, hopefully Orient uh, has a better fate and may get a complete adaptation, but who knows? I'm still looking forward to it. I know it's very fight-heavy, so I'm curious to see how that's going to be translated and how well it's going to be animated. Mm-hmm, for sure. But speaking of uh, long or adaptations or adaptations of shounen anime, you know, we got that new one coming, Orient, but also unfortunately got something uh, ended, and that's Black Clover. Yes, the Black Clover anime is ending with its 170th episode in late March, March 30th. But there's going to be an important announcement with that final episode and a live stream on the day at like 6 p.m. Uh, GST. So 
I think that, you know, it's going to end temporarily, but then it's going to probably come back after a year with a second season, essentially. So, I mean, this is what happened with Fairy Tale too. So, I think that's, you know, there's precedent for this kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I think Back Over will temporarily stop because they're, they're really catching up with the manga. Like, where, this will end with, like, basically the big losses against the Spade Kingdom. So, you know, that's kind of have to be a, the breaking point because, like, they can't really go to what's happening now without, like, adding so much filler. So, yeah. I really think it's weird that they even decide to begin the Spade Kingdom arc to begin with. Like, with the anime coming to an end, like, I, I feel like they should have just kept on with the filler arcs they were doing and then just ended it that way and then waited to do the Spade Kingdom. I guess they wanted to end with a bang. It's just kind of a weird breaking point because it's like such a downer place to break it off with the place they're going to break it off. I mean, yeah, but like, I guess if they had to choose, uh, if they had to choose like an end point, it's, it's, it's good enough, I guess, you know, before they start with like the big invasion of the Spade Kingdom, I guess. It's a cliffhanger for sure. Um, but I mean, like, I'm pretty sure the Black Clover anime does really well as far as I can tell. So like... I'm I'm sure it'll come back, or like maybe maybe they'll be like, "Hey, we're coming up with a Black Clover anime movie or something." I don't know. I'm I'm sure whatever they're going to announce is going to be big, and you know when when they make that announcement, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, interesting thing to talk about is that there's a new digital anime studio starting up by Comic Smart. You know, they are mainly a manga company, but it looks like they're gonna enter into being a more multimedia company so they established the digital anime studio quizilla or it pronounced kajira the japanese word for male uh, or whale and uh it is going to be run by uh producer production ig veteran shun fukudome and it's also going to have board members masayoshi tomoya and takafumi okada so basically it's going to the goal is that they're going to try and alleviate labor problems with animators and maintain a high quality of work with a fast production process. So we'll see if they do manage that. But Comicsport owns the Gaon website, which has like a a lot of different titles they publish. Like when we did our manga website, we talked about a few of those titles, Loving Yamada and My Evil Stepbrother and stuff like that. Those are Ganma. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. They are basically going to seemingly try and produce maybe their own homegrown titles so yeah i'm curious to see what'll come with this i do like their logo it does look whale-esque which is fitting for the name now we have like kind of a stray miscellaneous bit of controversy kind of going off like the industry related controversies this is more of like a interest piece which is why we saved it here i don't know how the situation is continuing because it's a few months out since this happened but basically some Ohio lawmakers were trying to ban Susan Napier's book, Anime from Akira to House Moving Castle, because they claimed that, you know, a parent of a high school student who attended, like, a, a college at Kane State University said that there was racy material in the book. And they were angry at the college for that. And then these law workers like took up the case and like said the book is pornographic and sent a letter to Kent State to urge the administration to not assign the book to students. I guess the core issue here is that there are high schoolers who also go to Kent State to take some 
classes at the campus. So it's like, oh, is there is there racing material being uh, distributed to underage kids or underage kids are forced to race this material? But if you actually read anime from Akira to House Willing Castle, like, it's not anything in there that it, you could constitute as pornographic at all like no images or even descriptions so it's it's kind of ludicrous and yeah so this was a whole weird kerfuffle i mean ultimately that student of the who his parent complained like they only didn't even participate in the assignment and they didn't get credit so i mean i guess they're gonna get an alternate assignment uh and maybe the book will get removed just from the the controversy but basically susan napier spoke up about this whole weird ordeal and how it's like baffling to her because like this book has been again in public here for like 20 years and like there is a chapter of pornography in the book and it describes and shows you know violence and against women but there's like it's all academic like none of it is pornographic in terms of like the descriptions of what the content is so it's like yeah i don't i just the case made by these lawmakers, I think it shows a lack of understanding of the book. I don't know if they've actually read the book. So it's a weird, weird case of like just trying to, I think, following up on this thing of, oh, anime is so racy and uh, has all this pornographic content without actually like looking at the context of like what is actually being described in the book. So. Yeah, it's it's just a very strange thing. And, like, we haven't really had much updates on it since December. But I'm curious to see, like, what the ramifications of the decision of, like, whether this book will be kept in the curriculum at Kent State is or not. And, you know, what effects that will have, like, on distribution of these academic books on anime. And just, or similar books in the vein, like in university curriculums, just nationwide. Now we're going to move on to some anniversary projects. Mainly, we're starting off with an update on Katsuhiro Tomo's Complete Works project that is finally going to launch this year. Obviously, the goal of the project is to publish Tomo's entire body of work. So, hopefully, that is on its way uh, this year. And, yeah. I mean, that's basically the extent of the update is that they're, they're going to try and earnest to do it this time after announcing in 2019 and not much progress in uh, 2020. But I think it, you know, it is appropriate that they're starting this year since it is 50th anniversary of Otomo's body of work first being published or Otomo's like, uh, you know, professional debut was in 1971. And then the Monica Magica franchise is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. And it got a special, like, anniversary project website, and it's gonna have, like, a bunch of, uh, celebratory images and from illustrators and manga creators, but it's also teasing future updates, so potentially more Monica anime, a, a 10th anniversary project, is something to watch out for, I think, because I think they are gonna try to do something special for the franchise. So I'm, I'm not, uh, really familiar with Monica Magica, I've actually never seen the show, so... Could this be like a sequel project or is or or are the films kind of that or I mean it could be a sequel. I mean I I don't know. I mean like the third film ended on like weird place of like well is this like conclusion or are they setting up for another act of this story? And obviously okay. that was years ago at this point and you know Urobochi has no intention I think to actually return to Monica. But obviously they are still creating manga and media in this world like we had like that uh modica anime like last year i think it was based on like the mobile game or whatever that people seem to actually like 
But, you know, so there could be, like, just another project, though, to celebrate the franchise's 10th anniversary. I mean, we will see. I mean, there's nothing definite yet, but it's. I feel like they're going to try and uh, do something. Okay. But speaking of celebratory projects, Detective Conan is heading into its 1,000 episode, finally after 25-ish years of this anime be airing. It's reaching its 1,000 episode on March 6th, and for the occasion, they are remaking a classic episode, The Moonlight's Mana Murder Case, which makes me very happy because that's like one of my favorite episodes. I would agree with the description of it being a god-tier episode. <laughs> and... They're going to split it across two episodes. It's going to be the 1,000th and 1,001st episode. But they're, they're going to do some cool things with this. Like, they got a classical pianist, Ami Kobayashi, who's basically as old as the detective going to she's like 25-ish, <laughs> to do the Beethoven's Piano Sonata number 14 that's featured in the case. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this remake, but also something that they've been doing also to coincide with this thousandth episode is a opening and ending poll that you can basically vote on on basically the website. And it's basically they have all the openings and endings for you to vote, choose from, and you can vote for your favorite like once per day. And a couple of weeks ago, they revealed the top three uh, results so far, the interim results, what the top three currently are. And those are the third opening mystery by Mio Komatsu, the ninth ending secret of my heart by Mike Araki, and the 51st opening, the which is just out last year, Red Lip by Wands. And, you know, I definitely uh, agree with the opening three and opening uh, 51 choices. Wands' Red Lip in particular, or Makatsu no Lip, like I listen to that song a lot and have seen that opening a lot because it's very, very good. Hmm. I haven't seen that one yet. I need to I need to look it up. This is one of the few openings that like TMS uploaded like worldwide for people to watch the Makatsuno Lip or Red Lip. Like you can actually watch that on YouTube on TMS's like official YouTube channel for Conan. It's not region block like the other openings. Yeah, I was I was kind of looking through the website and like kind of figuring out how it works and like yeah, I really wish I really wish they would just open up their videos for for the other openings and endings because I've tried looking up on YouTube like like clean uploads of some of these openings and endings and there really aren't a lot for some of these unfortunately um because TMS always like takes them down or whatever and uh yeah I, I wish they would make them available I would love to like watch these and listen to these on YouTube uh have you voted yet cuz uh I just voted for step by step <laughs> Oh, yeah, that is a good one. Uh, I mean, I did. I also voted for um, Makatsu no Lip because, yeah, I do love that song. And, uh, yeah, you know what? If it's in number one right now, I will support it, you know, going it all the way to being the official number one when the results are called. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, it is a very good opening. A lot of feels from, like, just showing a bunch of manga panels uh, as well. So, you know. Uh, but there are a lot of good openings, eating endings in Conan that I really like. Uh, also, I guess they also posted the fourth or fifth place entries on the website too. Fourth place is the fourth opening, Unmade New Roulette, and fifth place is uh, Sadame, which was the fifty seventh ending of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like. Uh, I mean, by the time this podcast is out, you'll still have you'll still have a bit of time to like vote for your favorites. Because it uh, looks like this poll is open until March 5th. So, still got a little bit of time. 
Yeah. Basically, right before the announced episode airs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go ahead and vote for your favorites while you still can. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, the 1,000 episode and this opening tending poll are very exciting. But also very exciting is the next Detective Conan movie, Scarlet Bullet. I'm looking forward to this because it's going to basically feature the Akai family. So Sarah and Mary and even uh, Shugichi Aneda, they're all going to be in there alongside Akai. They're all going to work together to solve like this speeding bullet out of control bullet train rider. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But yeah, so also very interesting with this film is that basically TMS looks to be giving this a simultaneous release in 22 countries and territories outside of Japan. And there's a big list of countries, but basically all over the world, this film is going to be released internationally. So they're, they're going big with this film. Like, uh, clearly, they have been trying to push Conan internationally in a lot of different markets over the years. And now they, this is their big push to get this film like global, like simultaneous release. And of course, like in the trailer that they had like five different international voice actors like narrate like on the opening bit of it. Like one of them was, of course, Griffin Burns uh, Shinichi. So, you know. I think that they are going to try for North America if they can, probably waiting for a more opportune moment to do that uh, rather than, you know, in early April when this is going to come out everywhere else. But I would definitely like to see this film in a, in a theater or it'd be cool to see a Conan film in a theater. So I, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers. Oh, uh, I would love to see a Conan film in theaters. Um, Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, uh, multiple dubs for this movie are already done, considering that this was delayed like a whole year from last year. So yeah, like, yeah. I think that gave them more time to prepare it for this like big push. So in one way, it was a nice blessing because it gave them this opportunity to plan for like this really special occasion of like releasing this film internationally by having all these dubs completed ahead of time. Uh, yeah, look, I, again, I'm really hoping things are better by the time this movie comes out, because I would really, really love to see a Conan movie in theaters. Absolutely. With that said, uh, that's basically all the news we had to cover this time, so I think we'll head into our community shoutouts and uh, wrap up the show. And some of my shoutouts this time are follow-ups on things that we discussed on the show. Mainly, let's start with why was Demon Slayer so big in Japan? Well, there's a lot of different factors, and Daryl Harding and his piece for Crunchyroll basically try to dissect why the franchise has blown up as big as it did, basically going through its history in Shonen Jump and its success there. It's basically the old talent that was brought into the franchise, including Lisa's a song you know, the singer, the opening theme, and then also the staff of the show. And basically just all these, uh, the actors and all, basically every talent on every level of the show that went into it. And then the early signs of the success of the show, how that popularity of it grew over the course of its run. And basically it also got to the question, why does Demon Slayer resonate so much with Japanese audiences? Why is it forever, like generationally, it's an intergenerational hit. Like young kids and elderly people love the story. And Daryl's analysis of why the series hit so broadly and so hard is very interesting. So I definitely think it's a good piece to check out to try and get to the question of like, why? Why is Demon Slayer just this big a success? But also we talked a lot about how the anime among industry has grown and changed over 2020. 
And there was a recent article on Project Anime where a bunch of industry analysts shared their predictions of where the industry could go in 2021. This includes Christopher McDonald from Anime News Network, Kristen McLean of BookScan, Ellen Keltz, journalist and scholar, Kwok Mai Hansan of Anime Trending, Jean McCallum, interpreter, and basically all kind of give their own thoughts on like their research piece and like what they think is going to be the future of anime or the things to look out for in anime and manga in 2021. Like thinking about, okay, there's been a big consolidation of companies, how that's going to affect the industry. What's going to be next for original co-productions? What are sales going to look like for manga? You know, is the growth trend going to continue in 2021? What are some of the fan phenomenons on the way right now? Where is streaming going? A lot of different factors are covered by this group of people of things that describe where we are now with the industry and like where things could be going. I think it's a very cool piece to read and just think about. So we talked a lot also about translators and the work they do on the podcast and like why their work matters. And recently there was kind of like a whole big stupid thing that happened where someone was criticizing a translation change at a Meyer Academia volume and basically subtweeted Caleb, and it was very annoying. And basically, Caleb made a tread, basically describing like what translators do and what they actually have a say in, in terms of you know what goes into graphic novels and what changes are made. And I just wanted to share that tread just for people to kind of have awareness of, of, like, hey, if there's a translation change in the novel, sometimes it's not like just you know translators decision or at least it's not like a decision that is just made lightly like there's a team that works on it and makes informed decisions sometimes a translator does not have the say over what the final text in a book is so i think this is a very important and educational tread to read just to get a grasp on that Another tread that I think would be really interesting for people to read was one Jason Thompson did recently, reflecting on the ill-fated successes of OEL manga back in the 2000s by Tokipop and Delray and Seven Seas, like their attempts to make original English language manga and how basically this kind of fell flat on their face. There were a lot of creators that have become successful that grew out of that like Svetlana Shemakov is like a big example of that like she's still producing like great comics and under like Yen Press to her book to distributed so she's still manga adjacent but like a lot of these companies like their oil manga like they didn't their lines didn't go anywhere so Jason kind of dissected like why these stories these books did not appeal to manga reading audiences why this trend didn't go anywhere and i think it's a it's a cool reflection of just like why this like interesting effort that was attempted you know it just didn't go and like also it gets to the heart of like what are the differences between like what american readers are calling to or expecting the series and like what manga fans are looking for in a series and what they find like kind of acceptable or willing to indulge in when it comes to manga that they aren't with American comics, but also just kind of the truth of like, even with manga, like with long running series, you're going to see sales decline. So designing like original manga series, like original OEL manga series to be multi-volumes from the start can be like a very easily backfire if there's not enough interest. So I thought that was a very interesting like look at that 
trend that you know we are seeing kind of like a modern version of that like viz originals and like new attempts to create kind of manga style uh comics so i'm curious to see like how the second like wave of that is going to play out now we also talked a lot about uh inker and their shady history being formerly manga rock and we described a lot of their problems in our discussion but i think for like a more you know focused and like a broader a deeper history on the whole situation and its implications like i think you should check out zach from mutra shelf's uh, video on the problem with inker and manga rock basically you know again describing their roots describing the whole situation of their offering shitty translation rates and i think zach does a great job describing the situation the frustration at inker for continuing to be pretty you know uh shady as a company and also again it's a general like anti-piracy argument like saying hey don't pirate but also don't support support publishers that engage in exploitative practices too no yeah um i just i just want to say real quickly uh i always enjoy uh seeing videos from from zach in particular dunking on manga rock those those give me life i I love seeing those videos Mm, yeah (laughs) Uh, on the subject of other videos and dunking on uh, bad uh, companies, like <laughs> Canapa affected a great video on XARM and why XARM is such a disaster of a show, basically describing how it's produced by a production committee who really, they wanted to try something different, but they went about it in like the completely wrong way because they hired a live action director who had no experience in anime and they hired other people who don't work on television anime like if they have any animation or storyboarding experience like they're very minor roles in completely different fields and so they basically brought a team of non-animers together to try to make an anime and that is why it has ended up being the disaster that it is and it's a very fun very cathartic uh, almost video to just watch of like him describing just like how at every level every decision everyone brought into the production just made the wrong choices and it was just just a poorly assembled staff and project and it's no surprise but that it is such a disaster but it should be because of the people on the committee are being like big companies who should have known better but it just shows like the follies of being arrogant enough to think that oh we could we can do something interesting but we won't actually put in the effort to find the people who can actually have the expertise in doing that we'll just go with who's cheap and available basically <sighs> yeah uh, but speaking of other you know cool videos or content creators i really am enjoying jacob chapman's uh, anime reaction review series that they're doing on youtube basically they're doing basic kind of like reaction video vlog style type videos reacting to uh significant episodes of the winter 2021 season mainly focusing on attack on titan and it looks like they'll return to Promise Neverland pretty soon, I think. But they've done Street Attack and Titan ones in particular, but they also have done Dr. Stone and Reincarnate as a Slime. And yeah, I really just enjoy seeing uh, Jacob's reactions to uh, these shows, and then their thoughts on the shows are always very interesting and their analysis. So yeah, definitely support his work and uh, his videos, so... I enjoyed watching them, and I'm glad to see him return to YouTube uh, with this new format. Speaking of other YouTube videos I really enjoyed recently, there are two videos, uh, Lupin Third Focus, that I really 
really want to recommend. First is a little bit of an older one, but it was done by YouTuber Corin, where they basically ranked all the Lupin movies. They like they watched all the Lupin movies and specials, like fifty of them, and they all they ranked them. Oh wow! Basically in chronological order, they just went through them and basically good. Hey, this one I like. This one I didn't like. You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. At the end, they basically found that they like uh, they like thirteen. They think thirteen of them are okay and the five of them are really good so you know a little less than half are are good <laughs> according to her but you know that and I, I would agree with her assessments on most of these films honestly so yeah i think it's a fun video like then uh, it's it's a pretty breezy one too like she manages to cover all four of these films in just 16 minutes so uh, it's a good like kind of primer if you just want to figure out like what are the lupon movies worth watching or most worth watching like just goes through this video and you'll find like some of the best of the best in the recommendations but also you don't have to like watch every lupon the third thing i think is a good lesson from this video and that is extrapolated upon in caribou kun's video titled i watched all loop on the third and regretted it because basically the message of the video is that you know he watched everything in the lupon franchise all the tv episodes all the movies and basically doing that kind of robs the mystique of lupon and the, the appeal of it because when you watch everything in a franchise you notice all the patterns and you notice all the formulas and kind of the tire tropes and so you kind of just become jaded to the experience so i think that was a good message but also through the video i think he came to some good conclusions on what makes lupon interesting and what the best lupon stuff does well mainly that they have a lot of style they do something interesting and cool like you can point to a scene and say okay that was dope that was a dope scene and that's the most important thing is that you know a lupon thing has to be cool and stylish like it, there has to be something like interesting you haven't seen before another lupon thing about it and then when you have the characters they should all be used well like they don't all have to show up in the show or movie if they do show up, they should feel like they matter. They should have a scene where they do something cool and they leave an impact. Because too often, a lot of Lupin stuff just wastes the some of the characters. Particularly, there are a lot of Lupin film specials that kind of just have Zinni out there and don't really use him, which are regrettable. So that was a cool point, too. And yeah, basically also going like... The, the ultimate thing is, like, you gotta do something interesting and novel with these characters and this world and the music and the style of it. And you should stay away from, like, going too over the top in terms of, like, sci-fi or supernatural teens with it. So I think this is a good, basically, overview of what makes Lupin as a franchise work when it's at its best and why it doesn't work at its most mediocre or worst. But yeah, and for another Lupin-related video, I mean, Knickknacks did a really cool episode on uh, Inspector Gadget recently, and obviously Inspector Gadget has a lot of uh, ties with Lupin the Terror because it's basically sprung out of TMS wanting to make an internationally appealing Lupin show with Lupin the Eight, but then that got messed up because that ran into the copyright of Marlise LeBlanc in France because Lupin the Third, you know, being a Japanese property, like they, they weren't able to prosecute them, the LeBlanc estate. But once they, they tried to do this co-production in France with Lupin the Eight, that's when it fell under the jurisdiction for them to like shut that down. So that's how they ended up just making Inspector Gadget instead. So it's an interesting history of how those two franchises are related. 
But speaking of class, talking about uh, classic TV cartoons, my final recommendation is a new blog by a friend of mine from the International Revelation Forums, uh, Aviator. Their blog, Toke Salad, is basically their kind of all-purpose blog to talk about all sorts of different things. But their main project that they're doing right now is the Television Heritage Project. So the Television uh, Critics Association, since 2002, does this thing called the Heritage Award, where they pick a TV series to be added to basically a Hall of Fame, like the most important uh, TV series culturally or historically. So, Avidir's project is we see to go through each of these shows that the Heritage Award has been given to and basically review every episode, uh, every se- of them, like, kind of in order. Like, he's switching between different shows. Like, he started with The Simpsons because The Simpsons was the first to win this prize. And then he's going to go to, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then West Wing and stuff like that. And, like, kind of alternate every couple seasons. But first, he's starting out with the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons. And he's just finished, like, going through season one and he's entering season two. And I enjoy reading Aviator's thoughts on the series and what he thinks works about the first season and what he thinks was a little bit lacking. And then even with the first write-up he's done for season two, like, where the show is showing its improvement. So I really like his analysis of The Simpsons and I really like the idea of his project. So I definitely want to shout that out and uh, encourage you all to check it out. All right, but yes, that about does it for community shoutouts. Some good stuff is always pointed out by Lum that obviously we will leave links in the show notes too, like we always do. Um, but yeah, that's really going to be about the end of the show. And uh, yeah, I guess before we head out, uh, I just want to say uh, look forward to our 150th episode celebration uh, where we not only go over uh, the results of our uh, five-year anniversary survey, but we'll also just kind of get to talk about like the podcast in general and uh, some of our favorite moments, episodes, etc. cetera, uh, with some good friends. Uh, those including uh, VLord GTZ, uh, Maxi Bernard, and uh, last but not least, Sakaki, all your favorite uh, uh, Mavericks pals, cartoon pals. I don't know, whatever you want to call them. But at the very least, they're all very good friends of ours. And we always enjoy having them on the show, especially when we... Uh, uh, you know, get to celebrate a milestone like this. Still can't believe that we've been going on for five years. And, um, you know, we, we just want to put out there, uh, thank you to anyone who took our survey. Uh, you really gave us some very helpful feedback on a lot of different things that uh, we're going to be looking into, you know, moving forward with the show. And just like I said, we're going to go over the results of those of that survey pretty much on the next episode. So, yeah. I guess until then, uh, Lum, why don't you go ahead and start plugging your stuff? Where can the good people find you? Mm-hmm. You can find me at Lum Ramiasha on Twitter. as Lum Ramiasha, variety of pages like Animation Revelation and Analyst, wherever there's a Lum Ramiasha, that's where you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on onlinescom.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so you look forward to more on there. You can also check out the art I do, if you like the art I do for the show and elsewhere, on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. And, of course, Lum Squad is back with regular production. And 
The next episode probably is already out publicly by the time we're listening to this. It is up early on the Patreon right now at the time of recording this. So look forward to that. You can also follow Lum Squad at Lum underscore Squad on Twitter. And that's also on every basically podcast platform. This is also uploaded in the Manga Rights YouTube. So yeah, look forward to that. It's the podcast I do with uh, EC going through Yurisi Yatsura, the wonderful wacky world. Uh, and if the series created by Rumiko Nakahashi, enjoying it a lot. Glad to be back in the full swing of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely go follow all Lum stuff. Uh, as for me, I'm Colting. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts as well, including one podcast, Prevails, uh, which is a podcast about uh, Detective Conan, Case Closed, whatever you want to call it. We mainly go through the manga and, you know, just kind of cover whatever we can in terms of like Conan related stuff. So if you're interested in Detective Conan, uh, go listen to that. Uh, but really, you know, if you want to check out my other stuff, uh, I have links to basically whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment over at uh, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's basically my personal blog where uh, I just kind of post wherever I want. And I have a page dedicated to all my podcasts there. So you want to check out what else I'm doing links over there. But as for Manga Mavericks, basically you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. This is where we post every episode first, unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks that we talked about at the top of the show earlier. Uh, Basically, if you sign up for our $2 tier in particular, uh, you will get early access to basically whatever podcasts in particular that we happen to have edited early, you know, before we mean to put them up on our main feed. Um, You know, we, we also upload episodes like Lum said, of the Lum Squad and, uh, you know, whatever other podcasts that uh, we do under the Manga Mavericks brand, I guess, if you want to call it. But yeah, basically, whenever we have a podcast edited early, we'll put it up there for all you guys to listen to first. Uh, or if you want some new content, uh, if you if you prefer to listen to some new podcasts, uh, sign up for our $5 tier because uh, at that tier, we upload a new monthly bonus podcast at the end of every month. And when you sign up for that tier, not only do you get a new podcast every month, but you get access to all of our backlog as well. Uh, definitely almost, if not 20 hours of new podcast material exclusive to our Patreon. Uh, right now, we are doing a mini series in which uh, we cover the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramada. Uh, it is my first time reading it, as well as my friend Doctor from the Aspect Records Anime Podcasting Network. It's our first time reading through the manga, and uh, only a few episodes left of that show in particular. Uh, we're always uh, we're having a good time reading it, but uh, yeah, we're uploading a new episode of that every month. Uh, while there's more Saint Seiya to read, again, you can find uh, our backlog and new episodes of that at our $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, it's really the best way to support our show, and uh, we we really appreciate anybody who uh, who donates to our Patreon, uh, helps us keep the lights on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but as for all comic and, uh, and the podcast, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. We try to upload different excerpts of the podcast, as well as maybe some exclusive content every once in a while. Uh, Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com, whether you have any thoughts on the podcast or if you just want to tell us what you're reading. 
just email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. So, uh, But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you're listening. Uh, we're on a bunch of different platforms, but especially on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you could leave us a rating or a review or both, uh, we'd really appreciate it. We love getting all feedback. On Apple Podcasts, it helps the visibility of our show, and like I said, it we, we just like getting feedback in general on uh, on the podcast, maybe how we can m- make the podcast even better. Uh, so we really appreciate it. But uh, that's going to be about it uh, for this episode. Uh, this has been episode 149 of the Maga Marriage Podcast on allcomic.com, and we will see you guys next time for episode 150. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.